feature presentation. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the I don't even know what draft of the I think it's 104. <laughs> 104 of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, you're almost there. You're, you're you can tell that um, yeah, I'm I'm moving in a week and a half um, as we're recording this, and depending on when you're listening to it. So I apologize um, if you know things are a little scatterbrained, but um, hence I didn't <laughs> I didn't prep anything as to for normal. The show. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a little bit normal. Um, we always fly by what... the seat of our pants for this episode. That's what makes it you know uh, sixty six views on yeah. YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yeah you know what when we're noticing on youtube popular short movie reviews uh not so popular i'm sure a lot i i know our audio numbers are are higher than youtube especially for this show um but people don't want to necessarily watch our dumb faces on youtube for like two and a half hours um, which we totally get um, we're like like when we're doing this we're we're doing it just for the sake of like okay there's there's an option you know if you yeah, want to if you want to put it on your your tv screen sure yeah or your iphone or or whatever but you're probably not going to hold your phone or if you're matt's long, mom is like, you know you know i go back and forth because like i talk about um um, you know, podcasts that I listen to are kind of funny specifically, which I will be on uh, screencast again this week on Wednesday to cover the last three episodes of star Wars visions. Uh, so keep an eye out for that on October 13th. Um, but I watched a lot of my podcasts on YouTube, which is, you know, um, so I thought that's a good option for people. Um, but yeah, for like a two plus hour podcast, um, you can tell, uh, you know, that's probably better as an audio thing, but you know, the yes. options there, if you want to watch it. Um, and we do appreciate those 50 to 75 people that, uh, click on it. And you know, we what? Sure do. I, I always talk about this cause, uh, you know, get starting our YouTube channel and, you know, audio for podcasts is always going to be more, more popular and maybe we'll, um, you know, I just wanted another option. And I think our movie reviews really do make sense on YouTube. Um, obviously they're still podcasts first and foremost. So, you know, we're thinking about other ideas that are YouTube specific and things like that, that we'll do that's not necessarily just a podcast format, but we've been talking about um, sort of condensing a whole two hours into a animated yeah, GIF into a TikTok. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> here's the two and a half uh, minute version. Uh, even though that's even too long for TikTok, I think, I think you can upload three minutes now anyways, but I always said, you know, anyone who's watching or listening to, this if you want to start a podcast just do it because eric and i do this because we love it and well, it's because we just do you, it in general so it's like why not share you, our madness yeah, with the rest of the world <laughs> um if i told you 60 people would come into my living room and listen to us talk for two and a half hours about movies i'd be fucking thrilled with that so when you say you know, 2000 people uh, watch a video of a of a bond review you did or in audio format you know more than that, uh, we're thrilled with even if three people listen to us. So um, we joke about it, but it is kind of funny um, uh, to just, you know, you like get the options there. Um, but Eric, uh, happy belated birthday. Yes, uh, I am you, near one step closer near to the death. grave. <laughs> um you're not that you're 33 right um, yes i don't even know how you get to a point do you get to a point where you forget how old you are or no a little bit i think when you get into like you know each new decade of of life like when you like in your early 30s and and i was thinking earlier 
this month. I was like, wait, am I 32 or 33? Yeah, then, that's what I struggle with now. I'm like, it's it's the but, but that's kind of like with the big milestones. Like, I, I, I think what I appreciate the most now when you're a kid, you're excited about the presents and the parties and things like that. And then when you get older, I think what you appreciate the most is, you know, getting a call or a message from a friend or a family member that, you know, is still willing to acknowledge that you're alive. <laughs> um, and, and I think that the, that's the most kind of gratifying thing. And then like, you know, when you get people on social media, whether it be Facebook or Twitter or things like that saying happy birthday, that's just kind of the cherry on top. And this just very nice. And I really appreciated anybody that kind of, you know, took a second to post a happy birthday or something like that. It's very, very nice of, of anyone to do that. And so thank you. And um, yeah, it's just, yeah, I think, you know, between like when you're in your, 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 your twenties and into your thirties and you're in the stages of like 21 to, or, or 31 to 34, 35, 36 and 21 to 28 or something like that. Like you just, it doesn't matter as much. It's yeah. it's at that point you're get you're you're waiting for like the next ten where it's like I'm sure when I get to forty or thirty nine, I'll be like oh god like what have I done with my life you know and and having that <laughs> quote unquote midlife crisis but with yeah. thirty thirty three it was just kind of like oh okay you know yeah I, I I get with you when it's or I I get what you're saying um of those mid tier birthdays that aren't a milestone that you kind of that's where I get confused I'm like okay I was born in eighty nine am I turning thirty 332 i'm like oh, okay it's 32 um and then i know that i'm one year younger than you so i can just uh always just use that as a you know you'll die one year before me so not I unless i kill you first uh, fair fair <laughs> um but you came over on uh on your birthday uh we hung out which has now been you know at least an annual tradition for the last two years but you know here and there we would do this before too but um because we'd, we'd birthday, always grab lunch or something yeah something so, yeah. um but the last two years because i've been in uh, the durham region and we'll try to continue this even when i'm back in in toronto but um it's fun because your birthday is in october which is you know spooky season so the yeah, last it's the month two, of the beast the last two years you've come over and you're like, Hey, I'm going to show you some movies that you probably should have watched by now. Um, but I think you'd like them, whether they're horror comedies or last year we watched the fly and fright uh, night and fright night. And, uh, night those of were the, the two last year, night of the creeps. We watched three last year. Oh, right? yeah. uh, this year we started a bit late, only watched, but two. also again, you know, you've been uh, busy for the last couple of weeks and you've been pretty exhausted. And, and also, I mean, you were very nice to buy dinner at, you know, take out at last sushi year Mountain. pizza hut yep. this time no boston sushi. pizza was, oh, was last yeah. year boston pizza yeah sorry. and then this year was sushi and uh you know we we had a really uh nice uh dinner with uh with nevis as well and and uh it was yeah it was a really it was the highlight of my week um and thank you very I'm much glad. for doing that it was fun we watched uh arachnophobia uh, as well as Return of the Living Dead, uh, which I am I so surprised you have never seen Arachnophobia. Yeah, just because of how much of a proto Jurassic Park it is. Absolutely, and um, you kept saying that, and from the minute the movie starts, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I totally understand 
um, what you're saying. And obviously, you know, uh, directed by Frank Marshall, who, um, you know, obviously married to Kathleen Kennedy. They Who's a producer on the film. Yeah, producing partners together. They produced a lot of Spielberg stuff. And they've and Spielberg's to, uh, an executive producer yeah. on this as well. Yeah, and they've uh, continued to produce a lot of stuff together um, throughout, you know, uh, time. And um, you can really see that this uh, predates Jurassic Park, but you can kind of you know, see Frank Marshall's, you know, hand in Jurassic Park, I think, after directing this movie. And um, obviously very different, this about killer spiders where, um, but there is even a reference to, you know, man-eating dinosaurs in this. is And just a real blast. Like, you can just tell from the cinematography to, you know, the setup to um, the characters even, like, there is a lot of Jurassic Park in this movie. And um, yeah, if you don't like spiders... Um, not a great movie to watch, but, um, terrifying because of that as well, where I feel like you can watch numerous supernatural horror movies and things like that. And you're like, this shit's never going to happen to me. So it's not like that scary, but I'm not going to get possessed by Bagul. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, (laughs) but spiders coming to kill you, something that could happen, especially in Um, Australia. Yeah. Thank God we don't live in Australia because everything can kill you there. But um, it's it's also it's also held up really well, considering that it is an early 90s movie and they're using for the most part, real spiders with some uh, puppet effects, but even the puppet effects are, are, are for are like st- close-ups. They use puppet. Oh man. Those like close-ups that. of the eyes kill yeah. me every time. Yeah. Um, it, yeah it, it's just, and I think that like what I miss the most about that kind of movie is not only just how the payoffs are so rewarding um, in sort of the script and how it's able to set things up. So almost seamlessly. Um, but I just love the small town under yes. siege by the um, best. something. And, and yeah. in this case being, you know, spiders that are terrifying. And there are moments in it where like, you see the pulsating egg sack where you just like, it's, just it's so disgusting. And it's like, yeah. that is, I mean, I know the, um, uh, the special effects uh, makeup artist on the fly worked on uh, this as well. Um, uh, Chris Wallach's and, and yeah, it's just one of those movies where it's like, it's very much a horror comedy, but it's also merciless in terms of like, it, it does feel like there is real sort of danger to everybody that's in the vicinity of this small town of Kamina and, and sort of like, you know, nobody that is doctor safe. too. Such an asshole. Oh, it's amazing. Like, like it, it, that character, like I even love that as well in terms of like how it kind of reflects contemporary society of like, you know, you have a, a whole generation of baby boomers and, and, and the, the generation before uh, millennials, is it the, uh, uh gen, gen z no gen, gen x Xers, gen x where mm-hmm. like you could sort of equate it to this sort of small town doctor who says he's going to retire is at the stage of when he should be retiring poor decides, jeff daniels uproots his family goes to this from san francisco town. to yeah this small like, midwestern town sure and then, jeff daniels a little bit of a prick too at the beginning but like, yeah like but i mean the... come on i mean i think given the circumstances he's i would be pissed too i'd yeah. be like bro i literally moved my whole family here man like you can't just now go you know what i changed my mind i'm like you couldn't have called like 
you know, before I moved here, like you could have given me, did you just decide today on my way to the, your office to get all your clients that like, you know what? Fuck this guy. Like, I, I don't care. I will put him and his family through the shit and he won't make any money. They just bought a house here. Like what a piece of garbage this guy is. Like I was so mad at this man. Like I was like, that's just unprofessional and i'm like no wonder i mean you got what you deserved bro you got what you deserved. <laughs> that's so, a pretty good review but again um, uh great payoff i think the seller sequence is incredible i really yeah. like jeff daniels the writing is really quite, good we talked about like yeah jeff daniels is great pre-dumb like, and dumber jeff daniels yeah and uh john goodman is fantastic and john um, goodman i mean we'll, we'll, we're going to be talking a lot about scream because you watched the first two movies and yeah. we'll be talking about the new trailer but it's also funny to think that like i i don't think arachnophobia influenced it but like john goodman has a theme that plays every time that he's it's introduced great. that's very similar to dewey's theme in uh <laughs> which i didn't realize is from broken arrow yeah did you yeah I, like because i'm i'm in the john like, Woo movie yeah. yeah yeah i was listening shout out again to kind of funny and, and nick scarpino and uh nick's gonna try to come back on the show very very soon i gotta land a time with him um but um they were doing screaming reviews. So I was listening and they're just like, the, his theme is just the theme from broken arrow. <laughs> it's just like it worked and they're like, let's keep it in this movie. And now it became Dewey's theme. Anyways, going back to this. Yeah. John Goodman's fantastic. Um, I, I was pleasantly surprised with just the structure and the writing of the movie. Like, again, it's just like a horror adventure comedy kind of thing but like um i thought it was really clever in its setups and its payoffs throughout the whole movie like it never felt like that kind of thing where i roll my eyes where it's like you know the slow dolly zoom on the like the the knife or the or the thing that's going to come back in the third act the chekhov's gun kind of thing in the third act and like um chekhov's bad wood (laughs) yes yes exactly um so this movie i think does a really great job with that stuff where you know, everything that's referenced does come back at the end, but it all feels kind of very earned in like a fun, ridiculous payoff of this like fight with this spider and this mother spider and this egg sack. And like, um, it gets very gooey and creamy. Yeah. At the end. <laughs> yeah. God, it does. And, um, I just think it was really like, you know, it's a fun ass movie. And like, uh, I'm so glad that you showed it to me because, um, I, it's just something I missed. Like even the poster I, I'm looking at right now in Letterbox, it's awesome with the you know the cotton candy sky and this you know Charlotte's Web kind of spider on the moon kind of thing. And uh, um, I I, uh, I really really enjoyed it, man. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And if you haven't seen it and you like Jurassic Park or those Frank Marshall, Kathleen Kennedy produced kind of or Amblin films, movies. like Amblin, even yeah. though it's not an Amblin movie, because Amblin at that point I think was, was in a weird like. Uh, was on its way out basically but it does kind of fit that kind of group of like poltergeist and movies like that or a lot of the stuff that joe dante was making uh in the 1980s even gremlins like it's like it kind of fits that milieu kind of perfectly and it's just unfortunate that we don't really get those movies much anymore um and yeah i I loved also that it's just shot on film it looks really nice still um Peter Jason, uh, who's a John Carpenter regular, plays the uh, the high school coach with uh, short shorts, and it's just like like oh, those little touches. Shorts. It's the best. It's just like, but like the short shorts with like the jacket and the sweater yeah. on is such a which great makes look. it look weird. Like more I'm kind of wearing naked. like 
I, I, you know, short shorts are coming back. I don't know if you can see this, but like my shorts aren't as short as his because his are like literally right under his sack. Yeah. Um, speaking of sacks, um, but and then he's got the the sweater, which is a look that I like, which I've adopted at home during quarantine for sure. Um, is you know the the sweatshirt with the shorts, but he's his are just the shortest shorts. It's the best. Yeah, and shout out to uh, Francis Bay who uh, plays uh, the. Uh, doctor's wife uh who's best known as the grandmother in happy right. gilmore and <laughs> yeah. also was in blue velvet and yeah. twin peaks um yeah. she's awesome and uh, she's it's great. always nice to see her pop up and, and jimmy stuff. buffett oh yeah so. every movie should end with a jimmy buffett song that's written specifically <laughs> for a film between beach bum and arachnophobia is the best um it's so just, literal too it which is funny. like i'm like what <laughs> It's like it's like such a weird song for the uh, credits of the movie because it's just like who should we get to do the you know the closing credit song about the spider Jimmy Buffett? <laughs> See, like, I oh, think I think that's one I thing that perfect, the new Bond but... movie would have benefited from oh, if God, Jimmy Buffett. Yeah. Did this song. yeah. Sorry, Billie Eilish. We had you know when like Radiohead was supposed to do the Spectre song and they got replaced. It's like uh sorry billy we're gonna replace you with jimmy Buffett. i'll take my mar- margarita um, shaken nuts <laughs> yeah it's the best um so then moving on we watched uh return of the living dead which yes I dan o'bannon's seen. film yeah yeah um so the setup here eric sort of being kind of a meta sequel to night of the living dead is that yes what so saying? john yeah. russo who was the co-writer on night of the living dead had a falling out with uh george romero and there was this whole legal battle with um, sort of the rights to the film because they didn't really uh, trademark it properly. Like it's it's known that Night of the Living Dead um, is in the public domain when it really shouldn't be. And that's why they lost a lot of money, but also they fought over sequel rights. And so yeah. um, part of it was uh, John Russo got part of the name and then Romero got the other part. And so Romero went on to direct um, Dawn and Day of the Dead, which are more thematic um follow-ups or sequels where return of the living dead is almost kind of like a sort of mockumentary um sort of meta sequel to night of the living dead a lot of people you know love the opening sequence in fargo where it suggests that it's based on a true oh, story right away. Um, yeah, and, and return of the living dead predates uh fargo for for doing that and but it's a kind of a tongue-in-cheek like everything in this is absolutely true we did not change the names of anyone well even like, even them talking yeah. about the character like neither the living dead as a as a documentary and not like or yeah. like based on like a true, true story yeah. Yeah, yeah and sort of the names were changed and some of the stuff were changed because uh romero was too close to the material and dan o'bannon yeah. uh who directed the film also uh is kind of best known as being the writer on uh alien he wrote the first alien oh cool um and so with this it's a very goofy over the top 1980s horror comedy that is like ultra violent but in that kind of comic booky kind of way like it's got tons of blood spurting um it's also the first zombie film to introduce the concept of zombies eating brains before that zombies were flesh eaters it wasn't specifically for brains and since then that's kind of like one of the big things to carry on um with that series and then also on top of that you have uh as my dogs are barking because they probably hear a zombie um 
you have uh, the two sort of main actors that kind of set this up, these two kind of bumbling sort of uh, industrial workers that are more the worried about... The sequence of them is really good. Oh, it's great. Uh, James Carn and uh, Tom Matthews. And for horror fans, again, uh, James Carn uh, played Craig T. Nelson's boss in uh, the first Poltergeist movie, and Tom Matthews played Tommy Jarvis in uh, Friday the 13th Part 6. There's also another Friday the 13th uh, uh, sort of... Uh, reunion there as well with uh miguel a uh nunez uh jr who uh plays one of the punkers who's friends with tom matthews character uh who's in friday the 13th part five the one where it's not jason that it's just actually a paramedic he's the one that gets killed in the outhouse and then you also have uh the guy who's kind of like the unstable punk rocker suicide uh who's also in friday the 13th part five who plays um a very similar character who kills um a uh, larger sort of foster kid and is arrested early on. So there's a lot of weird sort of horror synergy going yeah. on with this. Um, but I think the best parts of this movie, I really love this film. <laughs> it's it's so goofy. It's so over the top. But I think when it comes to the zombie genre, I'm usually bored out of my mind because yeah. zombies are never the interesting thing about those films it's about the minutia of setting up sort of like you know survival tactics and where to sort of hide and and what's the best or the human characters or anything or the setting yeah yeah a a zombie movie is only as good as the human characters and the writing in terms of how to sort of survive an apocalypse like this um but the special effects are really fun there's the whole backstory about uh lena quigley's character the um, military aspect of it is kind of Cool, yeah, 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 that uh, that's I think maybe the, the the funniest stuff in terms of the satire, where you have this one army general who's always like on duty, waiting to you know hear a call from this sort of uh, makeshift telephone uh, device he has in his home, and like you know he comes home from work and his wife asks him how it was, and he's like, oh shit, as usual, and you know she asks like what's for dinner, and it's like um, lamb, uh, chops. lamb chops. Like, oh, I had pork chops for no, he said I had lamb, lamb chops, chops for lunch, like. <laughs> <laughs> which is just ridiculous and like we're gonna talk about screaming a little bit too um uh, when we talk about the trailer but like this did remind me of that kind of you know that horror satire that is still very much a horror movie or in the sense of genre like a genre zombie movie but is uh, treading that kind of fine line between satire and being a straight up you know what it's making fun of as well and i think that's kind of why i really enjoyed it because it can be goofy and over the top and being and poking fun at it but then it is also just kind of a fun zombie movie as well and like um i liked that the zombies could actually communicate uh, a little bit like um which is something that you don't you know often that they're just these mindless kind of things that just want brains where this they're having like saying full sentences and like you know there might not be of their right mind but um or you know, no mind yeah, but I like that they weren't just brains. It was just like they could actually say things and things like that. I had fun with it. I don't know if I loved it um, because I just maybe don't have that nostalgia for it or something like that. Uh, so I totally understand that. And zombies, again, never really been my thing. Um, I did have uh, – I had a blast watching it with you. Yeah. Um, 
and I still uh, think it was pretty good. Um, but, but to I, your yeah. point, it is a deconstruction of the genre, and I think it is one of the more earlier examples, at least in, that, in, yeah. in North Sorry, American back to my scream reference filmmaking. Yeah. yeah, because you look at something like this and Friday again, Friday the Thirteenth Part Six, where there is this kind of meta humor, sort of winking at the camera and sort of like looking at how silly these movies can be, whether it be the zombie genre or the slasher genre, and then you know Wes Craven's New Nightmare is kind of considered the proto version before yeah. Scream, and then, and then a you get years before Scream, yeah. yeah, and then you get Scream, and then the the most recent iteration of that would be The Cabin in the Woods, yeah, where exactly. that is kind of looking at horror as a whole and sort of saying, okay, like these are the mechanics of like what you would expect in this kind of movie, and it's satirizing it, but at the same time, it's able to still play with it in a way that isn't just simply having its cake and eating it too it's actually yeah. both a horror movie but it's also a lot of fun um so it's Which just one of my favorite genres, genres. Of horror. yes like, yeah it's like i love the deconstruction of a genre while still being very much a part of that genre like i think that is like i mean the jump street movies i think do that really well in a different way for action movies and and, and cop movies and stuff like that like that stuff it can be very funny, but then it's still a great version of the movie that they're poking fun at. And I it doesn't have to just... be a scary movie. Yeah, exactly. Where like, you know, I, scary movies, I do really want to rewatch those with you and just talk about them because that could be fun. But I'm itching to um, rewatch the first yeah. couple at least. Maybe not, yeah. uh, you know, the, like the, four, the Zucker six, sequels or like, yeah. things like that. The ones with Simon Rex. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm. it's been a while since I've seen Maybe the, the before first Red couple. Rocket, we're going to have to watch them all just to kind of familiarize <laughs> ourselves again. Um, but yeah, had an absolute blast uh, watching those with you for your birthday. So so that was a that was a good time. Um, cool. Uh, the, another new thing we're putting time codes in our videos and and uh, podcasts, everyone. So if you hear me click clacking away as we change topics, that's me just putting in a time code. Uh, Eric, what else? Of uh, we could go into Scream a bit later. Um, well, we could talk about it now because I mean I watched sure um the 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 first three Scream movies last Halloween or last October. And uh, the trailer for Scream 5 was released today. So I almost feel like we could just do like a whole kind of like Scream segment. Yeah, let's do uh, it. Because, you know, if we're talking about what we've been watching. Yeah, I um, Nevis and I went to uh, Ajax Cineplex. Uh, the on loneliest Sunday Cineplex night. in all of Dude, Rome. it's yeah, it's very quaint. I will say that. Um, yeah, There's a charm to it. Yeah. There is, and uh, it reminds me of the Bowmanville Theater or like uh, Cineplex when it was back at um, the Oshawa Center, like a mall Cineplex and stuff like that. It kind of has that – it's dingy, but they've sort of updated it, but not really. But it's really. still almost like time's like forgotten it in a way. It's gotten – it doesn't even have stadium seating. It has that old – like you know, if you've been to the Varsity Cinema in Toronto and Theater 8, that like kind of – it's not stadium seating. It's just on a ramp and like the seats are just kind of that. And even buying my tickets, I didn't realize that. And then I got there. I'm like, oh, I picked way too close to the screen because I usually sit like – you know, a couple rows back in a stadium seating, like row, you know, C or D or something. Um, pick that here. And I'm like, uh Oh, we're a bit too close. Luckily uh, we were the only ones there. So it was awesome. Like we went, uh, scream is playing the 25th anniversary uh, version of the movie is playing um, in cinemas for the next week. So I think you still have until like this weekend to catch it uh, at some, it's not every cinema, uh, but Cineplex, the odd one, Young and Dundas is playing it. Ajax is playing it. 
uh, a couple other ones in in our area as well. And Sorry, you want to if in? if yeah. You, yeah, I was just going to quickly mention if you um, aren't feeling up to going to the theater yet, 4K um, the 4K physical media release will be available this month as well. So, yeah, in um, a couple in a week, I think, or this week. Yeah, next week, this week, um, I, sometime soon. in October. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it might be next week, but um, yeah, the Scream 4K 25th anniversary as well is also coming out, um, which I'm sure uh, this was that version, I think, although, you know, projected in 2K on, uh, but on a big screen. Um, but I think it was this uh, new restored edition of it. Uh, very grainy, still looked really, really good. Wish the screen was masked. Uh, that was a bummer yeah. because like, especially on an older movie like that, like it would have just been nice to kind of have that film feel to it. And I feel like that kind you of, you need to see Henry um, Winkler in yeah. his full form in a masked auditorium. Yeah. Uh, so unfortunately was not masked, uh, but ghost faced was, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, I think it holds up. I really love the scream movies and, you know, weirdly they were, you know, the masked slasher movie of our era which is weird because it's really like we just said deconstructing those slasher movies of previous eras and you know that was kind of a dormant genre until kind of scream came back and and sort of you know started bringing back the slasher movie uh, well even horror in general because Um, at that point in the early 90s you got a little bit of it with both Candyman and the silence yeah. of the lambs and even maybe misery with stephen king that adaptation um but then you know as the 90s progressed it, i think like horror was so prominent in the mainstream and debated quite a bit um with both a nightmare on elm street and friday the 13th throughout the 1980s um and slasher films in general that it was almost like a burnout by the time you got yeah. into the early 90s and so horror in general at that point um was kind of on on the outs a little bit in unless you were doing something was that was either prestigious or was more of a one-off because again Candyman was because of the success of Hellraiser and so Clive Barker was able to get that made and then with Sansa the Lambs that was something that was kind of considered more prestigious and yeah then, more of a thriller I guess right even though yeah. it's very much a horror movie but yeah. um so Scream was one of those movies like while I watched as, you know, a very young kid, probably my first introduction to like horror and to uh, the slasher movie. Um, Silence of the Lambs, another one. I remember seeing the, that box art at Rogers Video and Blockbuster and being terrified with the moth uh cover and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, the death moth, yeah. Yeah, and but Ghostface and the Scream movies um are just very much very nostalgic to me because it was my introduction to the slasher movie. And my sister Sarah was absolutely terrified of Ghostface. And did I go it is, Ghostface? It is a compelling yeah. villain. Like that that's another thing that I think is taken for granted nowadays is that it is really hard to create an iconic looking mass villain serial or, or monster Monster, movie yeah, monster yeah. like design wise it's like we we've gone through so many of them whether it be the xenomorph and alien or you know even just something as simplistic as you know a guy wearing a hockey mask that's not even introduced until the third movie in the franchise or freddy and and with the you know the sweater the the mike red Myers, and green obviously yeah, yeah mike myers being a very you know prominent figure it's really hard to kind of create an iconic image like that and like, have and we Go- had one you think since Ghostface? that's well, other like than really <laughs> no but like truly like you would put like i would put Ghostface with those other people you yeah, mentioned yeah. right and like, ghost face on- was also based on a real um 
uh, costume. costume. Right? Like it wasn't yeah. something that was just created for the film. Like there, it yeah. was like father. Well, father time or something that yeah was it was costume. and i think they had to get the rights to it yeah. or something afterwards because they were like oh shit <laughs> like but now um, that is a good question um like what would be like you have your you know jigsaw but he's not a masked serial killer because you got like no but i would say that the doll that. is like, probably somewhat yeah. like iconic in terms of at least in horror fan mythology like you see you know like a parody version or you just see you know uh billy sexy billy yeah. uh you know <laughs> you know you know what it's referencing i would say yeah. i would say probably even though i don't like the saw movies it's it you can't deny that that image i'm thinking is of serial iconic. killers that you well, put even in monsters same, even yeah, monsters, movie yeah. monsters like I, that was the one thing that i think we've always we've talked about before on on the show or even on movie night where like you know super eight i think one of the things that kind of ruins that movie is that the monster design is just not memorable in any yeah. way and like you look at like like even the cloverfield monster like it's kind of interesting looking but it just kind of feels very similar to any like, sort like of a bat yeah or something godzilla-esque like yeah. sort of uh you know villain of the week in one of those movies yeah i agree so yeah shout out to Ghostface. but um yeah i think scream he's the still... ghost with the most face yeah um and i like you know each movie it being a different killer i think keeps him kind of scary because or multiple always... killers yeah mul- well usually multiple killers yes and i think that was the uh, a really clever part of that first movie but like um i think that's what keeps him also scary because it's always someone that's close to the people in the movie but you never are quite sure who it is until the very end and they have this murder mystery kind of element to it because of that and i think that kind of like even though they are kind of satirical but like and ghostface kind of fumbles around a lot which they do poke fun at in scary movie a lot too um i'm in the house i like in that first movie that he's just like a they're these dumb kids right and then that's why they're fumbling around like a bunch of morons as they're trying to kill yeah they just watch too many movies and they're both basically psychopaths yeah and what makes it even funnier want because again like this has been a year removed but like um you know the the those performances are very heightened um oh and, absolutely and matthew like, lillard just going all Matthew, out with the tongue like and i forgot how, and like, like like his like his tongue always yeah. sticking out and like yeah and, and, and i mean i get uh, the other thing that was kind of a big selling point of that first movie was that drew barrymore was basically yeah. the janet lee of, of Scream, and they right? and i like that they continued that and i think that's just like a lot of fun like with sarah michelle geller in the second one or um, well i, I would say uh, i would say pinkett, with the, I, I, um, yeah jada pinkett and omar yeah. epps and in the, which i, I would also say really love that them. opening yeah the uh, with second that one sequence. That, that stab and then that yeah. whole meta nature of the movie within a movie with stab is but also just talking about how black so... kill- characters are killed off first yes, and making yeah. a point that like horror films are not always friendly to people of color and then they stay true to that which is like kind of it, it's really really interesting and like the way that all i've i'm watched the first two now uh nevis and i will watch three probably tonight and and then going into four um and now we'll talk about the new trailer but those first two movies like um i think are a blast like i don't think the second one is nearly as good as the first personally but like um i think the cast is great in that second movie with timothy oliphant uh he uh, is so over um, the top in that last scene where he's talking about like going prime time and things like that movies descent yeah like uh, and then jerry o'connell is great and um uh 
I just I, I think but both that those cast are... is kind of incredible is, as yeah. well. Like Nevis tweeted about it yesterday, but like you watched like the the film school scene where you have right. people. You mentioned Sarah Michelle Gellar, but you also you have uh, Joshua Josh, Jackson, you have scene. Portia yeah. de Rossi, you have yeah. Rebecca Gayhart. Like it's it's yeah. it's fascinating to see like all these kind of like at that time up and coming actors in small supporting roles and thinking like a lot of them are are CW people too, you know, mm-hmm. or, or WB at that time. Um, and Kevin Williamson kind of had it like you know he was working on uh didn't he just work with sarah michelle geller on i know what she did last it was around that same time and then then you know even with that like um the producers of that also uh uh, neil h moritz also produced um cruel intentions with sarah michelle geller um which i will admit had a huge crush on her as a kid oh absolutely yeah come on um but yeah i think both movies are a blast i think the first one is truly iconic and just like the way that it deconstructs the slasher movie and the horror genre like i think is really really clever and like um you know using halloween which we're going to talk about that probably during our halloween kills review we'll we'll talk about the 1978 and, and 2018 uh movies probably in that review but um how they use that movie in this movie as they're watching it and how um i'll be the, right back yeah and the score <laughs> from halloween like as they're watching the movie and stuff like it's so so well done. Well, also and, being self-referential, um, right? Like it even talks about Freddy Krueger at the beginning. Yeah, of, of absolutely. The film. Yeah. And like, and even um, when he's like, Jamie Kennedy is yelling, Jamie, Jamie, turn around, turn around as like a ghost, ghost face is coming out behind him at who the meta nature of his name being Jamie Kennedy and just him yelling Jamie and just like so many little things like that. I hate just, Randy though. Uh, <laughs> I like so Randy. Obnoxious. He is, but like, I don't know. Like it, I think he works as that character in this universe. Like you needed that kind of, character and i mean and i think it's the best thing jamie kennedy's done but like i will agree with that uh, i i find jamie kennedy is really obnoxious but then again i thought simon rex is the same thing and like look at him now right like just needs that right director um but then i really also love the stab movie universe as well with heather graham and luke Luke, yeah goth luke wilson yeah it's so funny man like and and when they introduce that in two which is just a remake of scream is just like it's really really great and then as that progresses like and i can't wait to see in this new one and let's transition to the new trailer and, and tori spelling um, we should also mention yeah, in tori that spelling, scene which where they referenced bumps, in yeah the first and, movie and it's funny too. when they bump into each other and it's just yeah. like and then also the other thing that i think is worth noting is that in the first one um Leah Schreiber's character is barely seen. He's, he's just on like a on news thing, thing. Like and then he's one second. prominent in part two is Cotton Weary, who yeah. in the third movie I, I don't really like Cotton. <laughs> as a talk show. Amazing. Other yeah. than that, not a huge fan of that movie, but that in itself is worth the justification of making a sure. third film. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk about the Scream franchise as a whole as we review um, Scream, which is another trend in horror movies that I uh, going back our, to the uh, basics. Our friend Alex Reno <laughs> just tweeted out being like, "Please, please stop! Please stop calling your legacy sequel the same name." as the original movie because it just gets confusing yeah now you scream go, the grudge yeah. halloween yeah Candy halloween Man. three times now yeah <laughs> like because the rob zombie one also just called halloween so it um, should that's what they should call it for the next reboot is halloween 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 yeah so i don't know whether to call it like radio silences scream or whatever you want to call it but ready like, or not Halloween. Um, yeah um but then so the trailer just dropped today um 
and uh you know doesn't show too much uh, and i'm sure a lot of this stuff out of context or is maybe alternate takes or different things like that uh very much looks like a screen movie i like how they're playing with technology um you know obviously the og movies being on landlines with no caller id and things like that obviously that's not the case now so you have smart homes and things like that text messaging and i know they played a little bit of that with four but it's been a while so i haven't rewatched that so we'll save that conversation but um i do like the cast of this a lot too um uh you have people like um uh you got uh, Is it jack, jack quaid, quaid from, the from the boys who i really like you have dylan minette you have uh, the one uh, woman who was in The Leftovers in season two and part of three, uh, the young the she was uh, the daughter of um, of. Um, Are you talking about Jenna? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll find it. I should just pull up the cast here while we're talking. But um, Scream twenty twenty two. Um, but Eric, what did you think of the trailer? Like, um, I mean, I thought it was fine. I, yeah. I think that like it's kind of doing what you mentioned in terms of the trend of recent horror movie reboots where, you know, you get a glimpse of like, okay, what made the series popular? This is also the first film not to be directed by Wes Craven, who has written passed by away, Kevin Williamson. Williamson. Even though, even though I, I think it was part three, he Williamson was only given like a co-credit because Williamson also went off to direct uh teaching mrs tingle which is terrible um which again like that's the other thing that scream brought yeah. i think that is maybe sort of uh, the downside of of those rebooted meta slasher movies is that we got a whole bunch of them i talked about um urban legend uh, earlier yeah. this year rewatching that with with the uh, thespian known as jared leto um in an early role and so you got a lot of those in you know the the late to early late 90s early 2000s with like um you know you mentioned i know what you did last summer and i still know what you did last summer you had valentine you had soul survivor um there was there was a ton of those movies that kind of came out of the the scream sort of era where you cast like up and coming teen idols or actors and in these kind of meta slasher flicks and then with this like watching it it's like okay like it's paying homage to it you, you know you're getting a lot of uh the legacy uh characters with dale uh dewey and and and, and gail and um you know sydney coming back and um one of them probably dies in the opening right but okay. i was thinking that they i again to your point there might be misdirection within the trailer but i was thinking that it was uh the girl from the leftovers that was kind of like the the one that yeah. gets killed jasmine off. savoy brown oh no it wasn't who um, i was thinking of there's another uh actor um uh if you are you on the screen uh, i page, am right? yeah, yeah uh jenna or um ortega ortega yeah, yeah um yeah. uh who's supposedly like an up-and-coming actor as well who was in yeah. a movie called the fallout that um hbo max picked up recently right um but yeah i i thought it was i thought it was fine i i, I think it looks like a scream movie but yeah. again like i remember watching i remember having no interest in scream 4 and then watching it and was just completely uninterested in it other than i like kill with Ant- four i don't um, I, but, I but it's been a while i, I, I will give it another shot too, yeah. but the only thing i really remember being kind of brutal and nasty about it was the the, the one kill that uh when anthony uh anderson, anderson gets stabbed yeah. in the head but then like even then it was fascinating where it felt like scream was old hat at that point when they were trying to reboot it because then they did the series as well right where on mtv yeah which yeah. i didn't watch any of no um and i had no interest in that or i i know um a little bit of it but even in that one they already tried to cover the reboot or the remake kind of meta you know 
commentary, right? So it'll be interesting with this one, whether they tackle like the commentary on legacy sequels, like we're getting with Halloween and, and a bunch of other kind of movies um, could be interesting. And I, I like that you're getting a different voice in here now. Like I, I did like ready or not. I like the radio silence guys. Like um, I think having, you know, new blood be introduced into Scream and and give it a a, a that's already a, that's already a horror movie title. Yeah. Friday the Thirteenth Part yeah. Seven. New, yeah. new blood. Sorry, uh, that maybe that was intentional, Eric. Um, <laughs> it wasn't. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious. Like, I I, I really I, I hope I remember enjoying Scream Four. Um, again, I don't remember much of it, which might be a good thing revisiting it because again, even all of the Scream movies, it takes me a second to remember two three and four like they the kind first of blur one, together right like the first they, one i remember beat for beat essentially um but then even starting the second one i'm like who is the killer in this one and then immediately when the characters come on screen i go okay now i remember this exactly it's academy and award then, nominee Lori metcalf yeah and then the third one i in my head i'm like I don't remember oh, and then I I'm sure the th- I hate don't say anything because I, I I will you'll know I, who it is when you, it'll, it'll when come they back pop, to you so yeah. quickly but which is the, what's happened the and then third, I remember in the fourth one um, yeah what happens but, well yeah. I mean the th- the fourth one's kind of like it makes perfect sense being who yeah. the daughter of this person yeah, is and yeah. it's like okay they're going full <laughs> yeah Eric Roberts in this case yeah sure um yeah. but with part three that's another one where I'm, I'm just so bored with that movie and I just feel like like it's setting up the whole idea that there, are, you know, the rule book is off the table in in sort of the trilogy and the final act, and it never commits to any of that that it's talking about. It's just the only thing that it really commits to is that you have to shoot the killer in the head. Like it's not something where it's like, yeah. you know, the killer is dead in one shot. They they keep coming back, yeah. but like the idea of that, oh, like anybody is vulnerable, even you know your your sort of again legacy players, and yeah. and it doesn't really commit to any of that. And it's like, and I don't. I'm gonna be honest. I don't really love the uh, Gale and Dewey stuff either. I think that, like, I Fair. think it's fine. I just don't. Buy I don't it. think they're. I don't think they're worth rooting for in terms of like, oh, are they yeah. gonna get together? I, I mean, I don't mind David Arquette and Courtney Cox just as <laughs> as actors. Um, David Arquette, I've I've come to actually respect a little bit more um, after watching uh, the documentary. You can't kill David Arquette. Who he just seems to be a big kid who is very sincere, um, but. Yeah, I just never really cared about like their relationship. Like, no, I, I'd agree with that. I don't think it's very fleshed out, at least even in these first two movies. Um, and it's such a focal point of all of, all of those them, films yeah. where it's like that's like you really root I, for them to, to both stay alive and together. I do like that, you know, it shows a little bit of growth with Gail, even though like it, in that she's such a uh, a bitch in those first two movies. Oh, and, she's like, such and, an opportunistic yeah. asshole. And like... And, I, I know I, that's I don't why she that. wanted to play that character. And yeah. yeah, I agree with that. But like, I like that Dewey is so innocent and kind of bumbling and, and, and has his own and theme. Like, yeah. <laughs> Broken arrow. And, um, and like, I like that sh- he is the only person uh, that she can kind of bring her back down to earth and like ground her or make her care about something. And I know it's not totally fleshed out, but even like the thing at that, you know, the, a little character building at the end of the second movie where, and even in the first one near the end too, where Gail is just the awful throughout the whole movie, but like she cares about Dewey. So she like, you know, it shows growth where at the end of the movie, the cameraman comes back. Who's like, fuck this. I don't want to be like, you guys are nuts. Like I'm leaving. And then he comes back at the end and she's just like, okay, 
he's like, let's go live. Like she does at the end of the first movie. And she goes with Dewey in the, in the, which that guy can be stabbed 800 times and still survive. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess that is also sort of another joke where like, it, it's almost like it's playing on like, Oh, he's in peril. And then it's like, you know, like serial killers in these movies, he's the one victim that you, that you know, you stab a hundred times. Yeah. And, you know, he just has a bit of a, a, limp, a limp in yeah. in the sequels, but it's also strange considering how, weirdly episodic these movies are like dewey's sister played by rose mcgowan is killed in the first one and it really doesn't seem to have that much of an impact on him in terms of his personality moving yeah, forward that's a great point actually yeah because i never even thought of that yeah she she's the one that's in the garage door right yeah like in the first one and yeah that's not really even like explored that much no um, we're like the sheriff in in halloween uh, in the original halloween his daughter annie is killed and then in the second movie, like there is actual sort of sort of grief and loss. And he's coming back for Halloween kills. Yeah. Too, right? so, so, you know, like it's yeah, like I found that really weird. Like it's almost like he like she really like Rose Rose McGowan's actually really good in that first movie. Um it didn't need to be the sister. It's just it's so weird. It's like, oh, like they never they never really even mention it again, you know? Yeah, I know. It's very weird. But yeah, I'm I'm excited for this new one. I, I, I like the cast. I like that they're bringing back um, you know, the the main cast. And I, I really do feel like, you know, it could be um one of them getting killed off in the opening i wouldn't even be surprised if it's nev campbell getting killed off in the opening um, it'd be amazing if it was um, if it was david arquette playing himself at the scream house where you can now rent sure. an airbnb <laughs> yeah. getting yeah. killed that yeah. would that would be the ultimate meta joke it's like yeah. it's like in order to stop another scream movie being made a scream s killer is killing off the cast members of the original screen movie would love that would love that um but yeah i think the trailer you know it gives you glimpses and might be spoilers might not be spoilers but it looks well, it's like, like marvel um, right where like love, there are certain misdirections they in might the have trailers. shot different scenes yeah. and like i know they're being very protective over spoilers and stuff like that but i like some of the shots in this of like the shadow of Ghostface on the wall like i thought was really really cool and like there's some interesting cinematography stuff and Ghostface does look menacing in this and i'm sure it'll be much like halloween for scary movie one uh, like uh very violent like very and the screen movies have always been very violent with the gun oh they're brutal like, like it's um, it, like the, like n- i wonder if we'll see that much blood because like uh, that first I movie do specifically will, probably, with ready or not being as bloody as it yeah. is yeah <laughs> well like, like that that first scene though specific or, or not the first scene um the scene with Matthew Lillard and Skeet Ulrich where they're stabbing each other yeah, is, is really yeah. nasty. And even the gutting in the, of the characters at the beginning, the pull through the head in the second one, like it gets very gory. And so like, I could, I think they'll amp that up and, um, I'm just, the only one I'm, that's funny is Henry Winkler when like he's hanging yeah. on the pole and all the students want to, <laughs> go see him i'm like that's really morbid um but i'm really curious to see what meta commentary they have on this because obviously they've touched on sequels they've touched on reboots kind of thing so i'm like i'm really curious of what that meta narrative will be in this movie and like what stab they're on or is it a stab reboot that they're on because i think or did they touch on that in scream 4 i forget but like i'm well i think maybe they even touched upon it maybe on the show because like i feel like if you're like i don't even the show's not canon though right 
may no but i, I think wes think craven so. was involved with it wasn't he an executive producer and shot the yeah first williamson was uh a part of it too i think but i don't know if it was necessarily canon god kevin um, williamson man what a wild ride that guy yeah. had in the in the late 90s like yeah. i i rewatched um the faculty and that movie does not hold up. And I know a lot of people do like uh, that movie directed by Robert Rodriguez. But like there was a point where that guy had like a blank check. And- Robert Rodriguez actually shot the stab stuff too, right? Which um, all comes full circle. Yeah. Um, but like thinking about like how – yeah, some of the stuff in that – in those screen movies are of the late 90s. And it's, it is a little bit of a time capsule now and you just kind of have to accept it for what it is. But I look at the faculty and it's like – when you compare and contrast scream could have become the faculty in so many other ways where like the references to um, invasion of the body snatchers. And also like, you know, we we've made fun of, you know, zombie land in the past for putting like text on the screen. I forgot that the faculty does introduces every character and like, does like a, 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 a sort of a, a freeze frame and then, blast their name and like this bloody red text and it's like josh hart and it's like zeke and you're just like get out of here it's so bad it's so bad no i feel you uh and then final things yeah i'm curious of what the stab stuff in this movie will be what the meta narrative will be um obviously the killer like theories for me is like you know i don't think you go and give like one of the og cast being the killer because that would feel really off but i do it'd think be amazing that... if it was matthew lillard but with like a tv set on his head dude i i wouldn't like i wouldn't put it past them that there's someone in this movie that is from one of those previous three that we either thought was dead or was just you know forgotten about and only in one of the movies or something that they do bring back as the killer in this because like I'm trying to think like how you throw audiences off nowadays and a a twist ending I think is really hard to pull off now and it very rarely like works anymore and I don't know. Well look at Star Wars Rise of Skywalker with how they brought back uh, the Emperor like do they do the same thing with with Jerry (laughs) O'Connell? Dead speak. (laughs) Um, No I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if yeah there's something like that where you thought a character died and they didn't and you remember me sydney (laughs) whether that feels really cheap uh probably but like i'm almost okay with it just because if it pulls a fast one on us and like i want these movies to kind of be silly and and self-referential and like um and stuff like that so like that's my theory my out of the blue like just I, i probably i have no idea but um i i think it could be a character that is uncredited that is from one of the other movies that um, I think could be in this and they're keeping it a secret. So that's my theory. Or it'll be one of these new people. that. Or it'll be Kevin Williamson. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That would be good. Um, So I am the creator of your pain. I'm excited. I, uh, January scares me a little bit, but, um, scary, scary, wary. Yeah. Um, I, I'm okay with it coming out in January. I would have liked it just to come out this month, but like, well, given, given the world that we live in now, just in terms the rules of are at, throw the rules at the window, right? Yeah. You in know. terms of theatrical releases, I mean, January is, yeah, it's not going to be eligible for Oscars, but I mean, scream never was. And I do agree with you. I think it would have been better to maybe strike while the lightning or while the, you know, while it's 25th hot. anniversary this yeah. year. Yeah. Like I, I really wish they pushed it, uh, but I guess they don't want to compete with, halloween kills with like just yeah I, Although, i'm assuming that's the main reason but, but then again maybe maybe they would have 
change their mind if they knew that it if Halloween kills because the decision to release that in the on in Peacock. the US on Peacock yeah. maybe was something that was so last minute where maybe they would have had more confidence if they knew that was happening. Yeah. 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 I'm excited. And it's also um, with Paramount now. We should say that as well, which right, is kind of Miramax interesting. Also, yeah. obviously not uh, around anymore. But Lionsgate so. um, is, I think, releasing um, – or is it Paramount? that's Because re- Lionsgate's been getting a lot of the um, Miramax titles, but maybe it is Paramount that has the 4K version of – Oh, uh, you mean on of Scream? Yeah. Like the OG one? I'm not sure who – the home video stuff, I think I was reading that didn't Paramount – no, that was the Bond stuff. I'm going to look on Blu-ray.com yeah. right now to confirm Yeah, you can this. find that out. And we'll move on to our next segment, which is just uh, what else have we been watching? Uh, I got to take a time code, everyone. Pardon me. Um, so, Eric, what else? I mean, I can It is Paramount, and it is coming out on October 19th. Oh, there you go. So next week, we were kind of right. Uh, what else have we been watching? What else have I been watching? You've been watching well, Squid Games? Squid Game, yeah. Uh, I finished uh, all nine episodes of Squid Game. Uh, you know, the show that has kind of taken over the internet or, or the, you know, the number one show in every territory on Netflix, and uh, which I think is cool to see because, like, I don't think it's very often you see an international, you know, feature or television show become, like, the talked about show on Netflix or just anywhere, which um, I think it's really, really cool to kind of see a Korean television show, you know, obviously produced for Netflix, but like, which makes it available worldwide. But like, um, it is just really cool when something like this kind of takes off. And I'll admit that it was not on my radar. I think we probably had access to it for the last, you know, while through our screener stuff on Netflix. And I probably just scrolled past it going, oh, okay, cool. Uh, Korean show about, you know, murder games uh, i've seen and that potentially before, squidward showing up yeah yeah and then uh probably just thought nothing of it and then you started to see you know the internet kind of uh blow this thing up and uh i'll admit that it took a while and i started to see everyone talk about it and i'm like all right i'll give this thing a shot and uh nevis and i powered through all nine episodes and you know, three episode chunks. So it kind of took us just three or four days to get through it and uh, enjoyed the shit out of it. I think there's way more emotional depth than I was expecting. Um, I think the cast is fantastic. Uh, Please, for the love of God, watch this subtitled and not dubbed. Um, I think the games are creative and fun. It's disturbing and violent. Uh, The cinematography, I think, uh, the colors that are used in the set design, uh, set direction and, and design, I think are, are really great. Uh, kind of the quirkiness of the what the the people look like with their red suits, with the shapes, almost like the PlayStation controller <laughs> buttons and stuff like that, which is interesting. Um, I, I just thought it was really, really good. And I understand why it kind of took off. And, you know, a, a murder game kind of thing isn't necessarily anything new. Um but you think of Battle Royale, you think of the Hunger Games, yeah. you know. There's countless things. The Running that are, Man. You know, that are this concept. But – and I I think it's – I think people enjoy this this genre, this subgenre, right? And There's something I, about I, a dystopian society where people can gamble with the lives of others knowing that nothing will happen to them 
which is living vicariously through those characters as you're watching it, which yeah. is kind of weirdly subversive in yes, exactly. sort of its depiction of this kind of society that's willing to sacrifice people for entertainment purposes. Yeah. And I think that the show is just paced really, really well. Uh, a good twist at the end. I think the games um, being children's games, I think are really interesting and you learn about different games that they played in, in Korea and things like that. Um, uh, I do think that, uh, which is funny. I tweeted this out and um, uh, our friend, Andrew Feigl uh, messaged me about it too, of like the English language uh, actors in the show. They bring in some Americans at one point uh, to the show uh, are just the worst and it actually took me out of a, a couple episodes because they prominently feature um these americans that come uh to kind of watch the games be played near the end of it and stuff like that and it is just some of the worst acting i've i've seen in a in a very long time in a mainstream kind of i wonder if the know. dub version would change that just in terms so of like i'd th- th- be curious that, yeah that's i don't think they would right and yeah. um that's that's what's interesting and why I think people should definitely watch. And I was talking with my uh, younger cousin, Charlie uh, at Thanksgiving yesterday. Um, he's uh, 16 and and he watched it and he's just like, man, I put the, the dub on for a second. He's like, it was the worst. I'm like, thank God, Charlie. Uh, he's just like, he was like, it was so emotionless and like just stilted. And I was like, yes, that's exactly it. And, um, and, that also wouldn't work because there's also a character from Pakistan who is an immigrant to Korea who speaks Korean throughout the show. And he, he also speaks his native language at, at one point. And I wondered it in, in the dub, like, do they dub that as well? Or is that subtitled because it's not in Korean and then the English language people, I'm like, that wouldn't play correctly, even though, like it probably sounds more accurate to the the actual dub. Being like you'd have like all the, like, the the English dub characters saying, "What's he saying? I don't understand what he's saying." But he's speaking yeah, English in it's the just, English it's, dub. It's very, and I've heard even the subbed uh, the subtitles aren't great. Like from people who uh, you know speak and can understand Korean, they're just like you lose a lot of the nuance in in it from you know the subtitles aren't the greatest i've heard as well Well, subtitling Um, is a whole other conversation when it comes to sort of you know taking something from you know its native country and presenting it internationally like there's a whole sort of art form when it comes to getting that translation accurate um, yeah accurate but also kind of making it because again like you have to think like the the nuances are the biggest challenge when it comes to adapting and um, even cultural differences and stuff. Like there are certain ways people say things or referencing that you wouldn't necessarily get what that is. Uh, so you have to kind of Americanize it or anglicize, especially it, with like, kids stuff. Way. Like I find like a lot yeah. of kids like anime, like Pokemon's like the big ex- example where like in the nineties, when you had like a, this anime boom, like a lot of the English dubs would basically change, you know, uh, both historical and cultural context to a lot of yeah. things and try to find the most sort of American in relation to those yeah. things. Just so people can kind of still connect with it, right? So I have also heard that, but I had no problem with the the sub uh subtitled version. Like I still enjoyed it immensely. Um yeah, I just thought it, it built really well. I thought the games were structured really well, the character development throughout it I wasn't expecting and like um 
kind of this subplot with a police officer who has the greatest iPhone battery of all time. Um, I want to know where, what battery he got installed, custom installed in his iPhone. Cause it lasts like a week. <laughs> I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> um, and like, uh, it's the future man. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's really solid. I think you should check it out. Like I, I understand why it, it blew up and, um, you know, part of me goes, okay, now this is going to mean we're going to get a U.S. based squid game show. That's going to be either, uh, you know, season two of this, or, you know, there'll be a spinoff show that's, you know, in English, uh, with big name actors and things like that, because this really screams as something that they weren't expecting to be as big as it got, right? Like Netflix makes a lot of international stuff that we just don't hear about because it's popular in, uh, the country that they made it for. Yeah. And they don't like, necessarily um, advertise, you know, international productions, the same, but they way have a they lot of North it. America. Yeah. I mean, they have a lot um, of content to begin with anyways, whether it be, and they make English country specific. Otherwise. Yeah. And they make, uh, content specific to different regions for sure. It's just, we don't like dark, I guess is the other one that kind of took off, but maybe not even on the same level of, as squid game, which is a German sci-fi show. Uh, very, uh, that I've heard is great. Um, did you watch any of dark? No, I didn't, but I know what you're yeah. talking about. And yeah, I've heard like people say that's great as well. But. Yeah. It's just also interesting to think like Netflix in terms of what their series sort of, um, the, the longevity of what their, um, you know, television series or limited series are, because, you know, you look at this time last year, a lot of people, you know, as we went into November, we're talking about the Queen's Gambit. Yeah. And now nobody talks about it whatsoever. Or at the yeah. beginning of the pandemic with the Tiger King, like yeah. now, now nobody sequel. <laughs> yeah. But nobody talks about that show anymore. It was no, like I, the I agree, perfect yeah. time where I wonder with Squid Game, if it'll be similar where it's like, okay, this is another kind of flash in the pan kind of thing. Yeah. Not to say that a... the quality isn't good. I'm just saying yeah. that like, it, it's the next filler until we get whatever comes up next. That's from Netflix that kind of maybe hits I... the same way. And I think with some of those, like Queen's Gambit, uh, very much a limited series where this uh, does leave it. I'm not spoiling anything like it, it's season one uh, or it feels like season one um, and they could go a, a, a multitude of different routes with this. But I think that to me, this is more Stranger Things than it is uh, Queen's Gambit in the sense that I, I do feel like they will capitalize on this and it could continue and be popular in, uh, you know, I think we'll get a second season of this storyline. And I also think we'll get an American version, uh, of this as well. And I could see it kind of, you know, I think people will anticipate season two and I think, but even stranger things has that problem where people, it's the thing we talk about Netflix all the time where it is like, you know, uh, look at Midnight Mass. It's like which I'll uh, talk about after this because um, I watched the whole. Uh, which series. is like people will talk about it for a week and then it kind of goes away, right? Yep. And then that's just kind of the Netflix model, and they they put out so much stuff that that doesn't really bother them because I think when we talked about the Tadum event, we had the same conversation, right? Where it's just it is very much like what's hot that week on Netflix. People talk about it for maybe two weeks because Squid Games looks like it took a little bit of time for people to kind of, you know, uh, go, oh, what's this Squid Game show people the are talking about? The word of mouth about? series like, on Netflix. Yeah, so people on Twitter, my sister hearing about it, and she's like, oh, I should watch that. And it's been out for two or three weeks. So there are those shows that the word of mouth makes it kind of last maybe a month or so. But like 
that seems like the cap on things where most stuff but also is being like, korean i think maybe yeah. there was a delay there but maybe the delay and again i don't like thinking this way but i maybe even with you know the success of parasite more recently kind yeah. of prompting people to be a little bit more adventurous when it comes to uh korean um filmmaking and television in general where like oh it's like oh i saw a parasite and i really really liked that and now i'm hearing that this you know weird kind of uh korean genre show, yeah. korean show is on netflix and everybody's talking about hey, them. and if I'll korean movies and tv can be the gateway to international cinema to people like i'm all for it like uh, uh if that's going to be the thing if people go oh parasite one best picture i really like that oh squid game is blown up on netflix i really like that maybe let's try you know xyz like maybe uh, i'll go uh, back and watch you know park chan wook's old boy yeah and then like even that. that then goes into some other uh, region of cinema or something going like oh these are great and they're subtitled like i should give other subtitled movies and tv shows a shot and then go into something else but i i, I guarantee that unfortunately i bet you 60 percent or more of people list watched this dubbed um i would probably didn't even notice either right like or didn't care about like the didn't really think that the performance really changed or anything you know i will say on my netflix the default language was korean i don't know if that because they used to do the default language as english because they were afraid of like on dark i remember that trailer playing and it was in english and even the way that series opens is a voiceover so it kind of tricks you right off the bat and you're like oh okay and then as people start speaking you're like oh oh it's not matching up and you're like oh this sounds awful and you're like oh it's dubbed and well sometimes when we get to... um when we get uh you know s- screeners in advance to watch like i was thinking like with alexander aja's um oxygen um when i got that it was already it was set to english and i was watching that and i was just thinking like melanie laurent also speaks english but it was a completely different voice. Did she like, do her almost, own dub? No, no, she didn't. It's, it sounded almost like Nicole Oh, yeah, we Kidman. talked about this. We're like, yeah. why didn't they just get her to dub it? And I said I would have liked them to do two different versions of the movie. Yeah. Where, like, you'd have to shoot every scene twice, which is double the amount of work and double the amount of everything. But I think that could have been... You know, if you're going to go that route where you're going to give people the option. Or you like, just do the Italian way where, like, you have everybody speaking their, you know, native tongue and then... Yeah. um you know you just dub it all in english <laughs> right but then so, like something like uh snowpiercer i think does a cool job with blending the languages right and even having the translation device and stuff like that but yeah uh, but anyway, that's also please... very smart writing like i feel Absolutely, like a lot of people yeah. aren't considering that where it's like bong joon ho is a very solid and clever writer where it comes to like okay i, I know how to do this and make an international film and and i mean he's benefiting from genre as well and setting in a kind of you know dystopian society on this train but yeah he's he's such a good writer that it's it's you know not everybody's maybe thinking on that level which yeah, is unfortunate and I yeah and going back to squid game just to wrap up like if they do, i think they'll do a season two and i said they could go the entirely american route for a spinoff or something what i would like to see is like because it became so popular maybe you introduce like you already had american and english speaking characters on this season maybe you just now go okay we should probably cast those people as like legitimately good actors and not just like you said people we picked up off from a bus stop or whatever like it just feels like uh, like it they're definitely not not trained actors that they used for this or just really like you know low budget kind of uh you know d movie actors or whatever uh no offense to the people i'm sorry but like um it, it just it wasn't up to snuff and um 
I think you could go the route of going more international in season two and um, much like, you know, when Bong Joon-ho does his like, you know, American stuff where there, you know, there is a lot, you know, Korean speaking people in the movie mixed with English and, and stuff like that. Like, I think you could cast maybe a couple people that are big name actors that would be in season two. And then you kind of do something that route. Um, well, it's an international sure. company, right? That's that's in the film. Yes. So yeah. like, yeah, th- they allude to that, you know, this isn't just in Korea, but like even with these men who come and, uh, you know, bid on the squid games and that's not a spoiler uh, for anyone like, um, but it's very, it's, 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 it's a, it's a common trope within the genre. In that subgenre. Yeah. yeah. We talked about um, like people sort of vicariously sort of getting that rush or that thrill of pitting, uh, you know, people against one another in, in sort of a, a sort of a death scenario. Right. Yeah. So I could see this being an international kind of organization or there are other spinoffs of squid game in other countries and they all kind of connect in this. It's this, you know, kind of like the silliness in, in escape room of that company that kind of runs these, like it reminded me of that. Right. Like, well, I mean, it's like, like even something games, like in lost, like, right. With yeah. Dharma. Right. Like, yeah. It's... So I think you could incorporate, if you need to Americanize it even more, like you could keep it true to what that show originally was and introduce a little bit of that. Um, but I don't even know that you need it. Like you saw that it, it took off being a purely Korean production. And um, I mean, it's going to be an inevitable. It's going to happen, whether it's an American spin off I or am they, inevitable. Um, or they introduce more, you know, a-list actors in future seasons of squid game you'll probably um, see a significant bump in terms of both budget budget and, and sort of resources with ca- with casting i wouldn't or, say it looks cheap at all though like it looks right. like the the production design and stuff i think is, is really great no no yeah. no i i'm just saying more in terms of like okay netflix now sees this as um as a know, premiere thing on their yeah. service right yeah. so they're going to be maybe more controlling as well i mean who knows Right. That's also true. Uh, but I hope they see because it's violent and disturbing at times. And um, I think the emotional beats are, are really solid and, and the character dynamics and the buildup of, you know, just learning these people and their sort of backstories and how it handles, you know, debt, debt, crippling debt and stuff like that. And um, I think is something that I thought was uh, really, really interesting. But um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I think yeah, everyone, if you haven't checked it out yet, you've probably heard uh, a ton of people uh, talk about it. So um, uh, definitely, definitely check out uh, Squid Game. And then Eric, the other show, we can transition into that. You you have been watching or you watched all of Midnight Mass, right? I sure did, Matt. Uh, Mike Flanagan's kind of, it's an original um, series from him, a limited series, but it's also still very much in sort of the style of what you'd expect a, a Stephen King adaptation to be like. Um, going to the uh, bathroom, sorry. Yeah, no, no, that's all good. Um, and so watching it, um, the, I think the main sort of takeaway from the series has been, is that it's, it's very sort of dialogue driven and it's monologues and conversations with this kind of tinge of horror, uh, on the sidelines as the story kind of unfolds on this sort of small Island community that, you know, the, the, the population has been dwindling over the years just due to, you know, um, lack of, of 
job opportunities on the island and also you know people kind of just wanting to get away from a very kind of christian uh community um that's also been suffering over um you know the last few decades and sort of the point of view is from multiple characters over the course of uh the series and um it kind of all starts to kind of come together when this um new priest comes to the island and he's basically taking over for uh the older one and he's played by uh, hamish linklater and so with that you know his presence and his um sort of charisma sparks interest in the church again and gets more people coming. And uh, one day he performs this um, awe-inspiring miracle that basically um, has everybody sort of coming to him as a a modern day faith healer. But um, as you find out the, as the story progresses, there's, you know, some insidious underpinnings with his character, but even with the town of being sort of, you know, what, it means to be Christian and sort of the idea of, you know, treating people as though you would want to treat yourself and sort of the um, hypocrisy and rhetoric that kind of is behind all of that. Um, I found it to be uh, really um, satisfying and fulfilling. And again, I think it takes a lot of the best qualities of a Stephen King novel and sort of adds textures and nuance that isn't necessarily always there in um, Stephen King adaptations. Because as much as I love um, The Mist, I look at the uh, Marsha Gay Harden character in that, and and that character is a very exaggerated, over-the-top antagonist, where there's a character in Midnight Mass that's actually not far removed from who, you know, uh, Marsha Gay uh, uh, Harden's character is in The Mist, but she's played as more of a person, even though she's still very much reprehensible in some of the things that she does. Um, she, there, there's more sort of shades of gray there and com- complexity that I think plays out really well. And yeah, it, it's kind of like the best versions of, needful things and Salem's lot kind of mashed together. And um, if you're looking for maybe, you know, classic chills and thrills, you're not going to be wholly satisfied because it is very sort of existential in its conversations, but also looking at things like honor and purpose. And, you know, the characters themselves are very flawed. One of your main characters played by um, Zach Guilford is a man who were first introduced to having been successful leaving the island and becoming kind of a white collar kind of wall street kind of type um is being arrested and going to jail because he was in a um uh, drinking and driving accident and killed a uh young woman and is sort of haunted by that but you know gets off easy and sort of only spends i think like four years in prison and um you know is is a character who's both you know amoral for what he has done but he's also still somewhat sympathetic because he is remorseful and you know understands the crime that he's committed and and it's just interesting to see that that character in any other film or show would either be a complete pariah which he kind of is but at the same time there would be no sort of redemptive arc for him he would just be someone who is continually going down uh, a spiral that you know is getting worse where it does show that this guy you know is trying to do the right thing and sort of again 
pitting being rational versus, you know, seeing something that is supernatural or, or uh, fantastical and sort of grappling with the idea of whether or not, you know, this is um, biblical or not. And I think that there's a lot going on there in terms of even just, you know, Mike Flanagan sort of maybe fighting with his own upbringing in terms of like clashing with what it meant to be, you know, uh, a Catholic at one point and maybe kind of having moved away from the church. Um, those kind of themes are are very prominent in movies from, you know, even Martin Scorsese where like, yeah. you know, you see a guy that's conflicted with his own faith and sort of being, I think that's what intrigues me the most about it too. Cause yeah. I grew up Catholic and um, I have heard that like from other people being like, like, oh, it was watching with their partner. One person grew up Catholic. One person didn't. They're like, oh, the weirdest part was when they were like reciting some of the prayers in the movie and stuff like or in the show and stuff like yeah. that too. And, well, it, and um, it also makes a really good point. And the one that I've always had when it comes to religion is like, okay, well, if there is a God, why has he or she or whoever allowed – you know uh famine and genocide and all these horrible things to happen not to like people or yeah or people, just yeah. just people in general and yeah. like not you know things that some sort of divine intervention would be needed in day-to-day -day life but like like the holocaust like truly things like horrible that. things yeah. yeah that aren't just yeah um yeah i i think flanagan has been killing it lately and like uh i i do want to go back and even watch dr sleep again and you know and haunting of hill house because like i don't even think i finished the last four episodes or something of that or three episodes of that i didn't you love... did finish blind man yeah right? which i didn't love you watched it too no yeah. i haven't which i'm thinking oh. of watching because okay. it was just one i missed and like it was it was weird because like i really liked what he was doing with the last sort of anthology series yeah. and that I was kind of satisfied or fulfilled with, with, with that. And I kind of, yeah. And I just yeah. felt like I didn't need any more weird. Yeah. And I, I'm curious to see what you'll think because I, I do like elements of that, of that show. And I weirdly finished that, but didn't finish Hill house. Cause I think we just didn't finish Hill house in that October. And then once November hit, it's Christmas time. And then I was just like, I can't watch this anymore. <laughs> and then I never went back to it, but like we've wanted to, and maybe we'll throw that on, um, during this spooky season but like um i'd have to rewatch it from the beginning now i think but um i i missed those last four episodes and then blind manor kind of fell apart for me at the end and i don't think any of the emotional stuff really quite works and i thought the last episode was kind of laughably bad but um but i do like flanagan like in his style of horror or his style of you know filmmaking and um I, I want to watch that three hour director's cut of Dr. Sleep that's Same. in uh, chapters and stuff like that. Like I, I've been, it's, it's in 4k on the digital version The even the uh, extended cut uh, director's cut. And I've been itching to go back and watch that. And it's another excuse to watch the shining again, because the 4k of the shining also looks great. Everyone you should, but I think uh, Netflix is a good place for him because yeah. he can do these sort of um, sort of longer, run limited series, series limited yeah. series and like he i mean it was already announced that he's now working on like a, an edgar Allan poe inspired um like anthology series. series or anthology yeah. um series and so like i think like you know if he's given like seven to eight episodes to tell a story and really flesh things out i think like you can like even his look like he has a look to his film that i sometimes really like and i sometimes don't it's very soft 
and yes, like it's it got has, that orangey lighting to it, kind of. As yeah, well, sometimes it, or yellowy. It, kind it's of. almost weirdly like again, like it has like this kind of like sort of cream like kind of texture to yeah, it. Yeah, like, I totally is understand what you're saying. Yeah, and and like I think it like it's 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 warm. It's weirdly warm for um for horror, and I just think that that's kind of interesting as well. Even though I don't think it always works with what's going on with any given scene, where you have you know maybe some of the more kind of graphic uh moments that take place in some of his films and series, and it's um yeah, it, it's just it's it's interesting to think like the guy who made Oculus kind of moved into Stephen King territory and now is doing some of his own things, but stuff that's inspired by, you know, people like Henry James and things like that. But it all kind of feels of the same cloth and like his kind of evolution, his voice hasn't really kind of gone away. And it's just also interesting as well, that a lot of the actors that he's been working with throughout the entirety of his career, he continues to use, you know, and I, I, I always find that Elliot. that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. With, uh, uh, Henry Thomas and, and, uh, Katie Siegel. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, there's like, there's a lot of like, kind of like Rahul Kohli he brought back. Yeah. Who's actually, the- no, no, but yeah. he's really good in Midnight Mass as sort of the the town sheriff who is dealing with um, racism because he is of the Muslim faith and he's the only Muslim, him and his son in, in the show are the only two Muslims. But I really love how he sort of deals with this local town drunk who's also kind of a pariah who's done something horrible in the past, but he still treats this guy with more humanity and dignity than anybody else treats him uh, on the show. And it's just one of those really um, solid performances. And there's a great scene where the character talks about like why uh, they came to um, uh, the town in the first place. Okay, cool. I like Roe a lot. Again, friend of kind of funny. He's been on their show a bunch and they're friends with him, but he's um, very good in it. He's very, yeah, he was good in Bly Manor. He's one of my favorite parts. Great mustache. In Bly Manor, he had it. Does he have a mustache in this? He's got like a mustache and beard combo, but it really like, it kind of works with kind of like that rustic lived in community. Is it a period piece or is it set in like, no, it's modern. Okay. It's modern. Cool. Um, But he does have a kind of, timeless quality because a lot of the film or a lot of the series takes place on this island and the island itself is kind of like it feels like it's you know 50 years in the past okay that's kind of probably why i got that vibe but um yeah i'm i'm excited to check it out um uh i just having it almost weirdly reminds me of like peterborough where it's like okay like time hasn't touched it completely and it still looks like you know there are things from like the early 90s that are still yeah that's uh I think it'll be the next show now that we finished uh Squid Game, so perfect transition there. Um Eric, before we wrap up what we've been watching, I do need to touch on that we saw Cop Shop. So Yes. Um when we went to go see we haven't talked about it on his show, right? No, we haven't we didn't, no. because we didn't do a show last week. Um so Eric and I uh after seeing Venom Let There Be Carnage, uh, which you can check out our review for um which i'm sure you've seen because you know we didn't touch on this in the news too but it did uh wild business 90 million dollars it's opening weekend uh unfortunately um and we did a we did a whole conversation on uh the post credit scene which you guys can check out on youtube and podcast services i accidentally deleted it over our um spider-man far uh no way home trailer reaction too, but you can but, still watch that on yeah. the youtube channel 
Yeah. It's not deleted from there. Um, so Eric and I saw Cop Shop. We don't need to spend too much time on it because we didn't do like a full review. Um, I th- And I guess many Saints of Newark we can talk about in this kind of section too. The Dead you, Speak. Um, yeah, that's true. Uh, I loved Cop Shop more than uh, many Saints of Newark. Maybe loved is a strong uh, word. Fun. You I, had fun with it. I had a lot of fun with Cop Shop. Like I thought – I didn't know it would be this kind of single location – uh, you know, assault on precinct thirteen, Rio Bravo esque like, yeah, siege movie, siege movie, and um, I just had a blast. I think Toby Huss is just it's fucking, Anthony Lamb is just so good in the movie. I want he's to- good in general. Like I yeah. love that guy. Anytime he pops up, like he's also in David Gordon Green's Halloween. Halloween he's great. Um, Peanut he's butter just- on my penis. <laughs> he's just one of those guys who's always like a welcome presence. Yeah, uh, Frank Grillo does look like uh Mickey Rourke. <laughs> And, whiplash uh and uh, yeah whiplash and, which would make uh, a great what if episode <laughs> yeah and i just think you know him and, and gerard butler hamming it up and being stuck in this police cell and uh is it alexis louder who yeah who's awesome the, in this yeah. and like this I, she was also in the tomorrow war she had yeah. a, a small role in that but like it is a, a great star making performance the only the only unfortunate thing is that nobody saw the movie and it's like yeah. it's one of those things where it's like you can tell like if if i hope some casting director or some filmmaker watched cop shop and saw it because like i feel like you could do like a whole series of films of like action movies with her yeah um, i she absolutely has such agree a great presence and the movie just like has this kind of trashy vibe to it but like this b-movie vibe to it that i i think you know um a lot of Joe Carnahan's recent stuff kind of has that vibe too. And we also I, released I, Boss Level uh, yeah. earlier this year with Frank Grillo as well, which I didn't see. Which is fine. Watched. It's yeah. it, it's it's using the Groundhog Day sort of formula with kind of uh, the video game sort of component of restarting your life over and over again in order to uh, solve the problem that you're yeah. kind of stuck in. With this, I think this is more entertaining because it is just playing on classic genre and it's nasty and violent. Yeah. And it's kind of like your old school neo-noir B movie, Western kind it's of thing. With the Toby Huss stuff. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. Where like, he's kind of playing sort of like the true sort of like Anton Chigurh esque villain yeah. of the piece. And um, like his stuff in, in it is, is amazing. Like he, like when he, he he literally steals the whole film. Oh, and um, he's just a pure psychopath. And yeah, he's just, he's but he's so just so funny the way that he kind of yeah. presents himself as like a you know a guy who's like selling balloons. <laughs> yes, and um, yeah, I just I had an absolute blast with it, and um, I'm very curious too because there's all the behind the scenes stuff. Frank Grillo came out and said that you know the movie he got happy okay reviews, the, but the like edit. he said critics were kind of you know saying his performance wasn't so great and he wasn't happy with the edit because they took the movie away from joe carnahan and and it was like a studio edit and eric and you and i were talking after we saw it we're like the movie's like just a solid pretty straight he's fine like, in it like frank siege movie fine. And, and grillo's fine gerard butler's fine like i actually um, kind of like gerard butler too i just like yeah it's so weird that this that like what he has become gerard butler oh, yeah. it like i mean he is it's He's not maybe on that same level of like the Bruce Willis or DVD, Nicolas yeah, Cage like, just yet, but yeah. he is literally looking down Bro's that teetering. drain. He's teetering. Yeah. He's on a tightrope. He's just like he he's one of those guys that is like making those movies, but they're like elevated versions of those movies where you're like 
this could go either way. It's either going to be like one of those movies or it's going to be slightly more enjoyable for like a trashy reason. Like he has another like movie that, that like, he just finished making called The Plane, which sounds like <laughs> that kind of movie where it's like, yeah. okay, this could go either it's going to be really fun and entertaining or this should have just been released on VOD. Yeah. And, and you know, I actually really like that he's got a little bit more heft and sort of grizzled to him in yeah. the last 10 years or so. Like he's got more character uh now and i just kind of like him as a personality more so than anything else i don't think he's necessarily a great actor but i just think he's an interesting presence yeah no i i totally agree with that and i'd just be very curious to see i'm assuming the joe carnahan cut was a little bit more stylized and more kinetic kinetic that you know his stuff usually feels that way so maybe they just wanted something more straightforward and that's which i think it works i think that that if you made like there's one sort of flashback in cop shop where i think like if it was sort of edited by or, or or approved by Joe Carnahan, it would have been sort of more breakneck sort of speed in the way that like smoke and aces or something like that. Yes. But then again, I mean, I, every time I talk about Joe Carnahan, I, I say like he, he doesn't really have a great movie w- in his career with the exception of the gray, which is this weird anomaly also right. with Frank Grillo, who's yeah. really good in that movie too. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, where did that film come from? And the rest the gray of your is career? fantastic. Yeah. Like it, it is, it's just a bizarre outlier, right? But it also I mean. bothers me a little bit not the film but like i'm sure maybe you've seen some of this online but a lot of people are picking on um the eternals right now and specifically sort of mocking the fact that like oh you know chloe zhao is doing um you know her version of a terrence malick movie but within the mcu and i've seen a lot of this stuff with one um film personality specifically and it's kind of weird I'm to me. I'm assuming I have them muted, but yes, you do. Um, <laughs> he, he, I, I don't won't say his name, but, yeah, but, yeah. but but what I'm trying to get at with that is that one, it's strange that you're picking on, you know, a woman of color who is trying to do something really interesting within the superhero genre and try to kind of break the mold. And then two, it's like, you never hear this from that kind of guy when, you know, someone like Joe Carnahan, you know, is clearly mocking or trying to make his version. Cause the gray is kind of like a Terrence Malick attempt at doing a survival thriller. There are so sure. many moments that are kind of paying tribute to the kind of meandering, wandering sort of lyrical melancholy quality of a character going through a significant event and also connecting with nature and having to defy the odds within sort of a, a setting that's in the wilderness. And like when it comes to a lot of filmmakers, when it's, the male skewer of things doing a Terrence Malick adjacent or like movie, you never hear that criticism. So I just find that that is, I think the MCU brings that out too, right? Just the discourse in general is exhausting. And I think just like, and maybe Nomadland being so successful that it's almost like, I think the combo of those two things, Eric is, is what really, you know, will bring those people out of the woodwork to just kind of, you know, I, I just roll my eyes at a lot of that kind of stuff. And either, yeah, people are muted already, so I don't see it. Or um, I just kind of like, and everyone's entitled to their opinion. It's just what people who are just spewing out this. Oh yeah. And I'll be like, critical of rhetoric. Eternals if it doesn't work. And like, I understand like, okay, yeah. Eternals is still being used to sell cars and, and products and stuff like that. Like I'm not, saying that that you know it's not it's not a product in its own way but it's what movie making is a business (laughs) i know but it's just strange that like 
out of all the movies that have been inspired by oh, Terrence Malick in one yeah. way or another, or other filmmakers that are considered more art house or international yeah. based, this is the one that you're sort of making fun of or picking on sight unseen. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I don't even give those people a, ounce of my thought process or or brain power but the gray um, is great and and, and the gray cop is shop great is cop a shop's a blast i movie. think once it comes to vod if it's not already on it's not yet no right? not yet it but, it, but it is the perfect vod like, movie it is once it's on vod for like six dollars instantly like rent the movie it's fun if you like kind of schlocky siege kind of you know movies and like with a really fun toby huss uh performance it's just this assassin it's It's the best movie with a lamb this year (laughs) oh okay (laughs) uh can you talk about that yet or you just want to save that maybe for next week because it comes out yeah well i my no no the review came out yeah do you want to touch on that or do you uh, want to go to many saints of newark or so my review for lamb is on rogers tv if you want to see that but essentially it is a uh, a twenty four release that is a high concept, uh, sort of Icelandic folk tale, slight tinge of horror lamb fantasy chops. about lamb chops play along, uh, and also introducing Anthony Lamb to the A twenty four universe. <laughs> I um, wish. Yeah, it, it's fine. It's okay, totally okay. fine. It is. It is in terms of the A twenty four canon. Um, it is a minor work. Is a minor work. Yeah, but it's it's yeah. fine. I think um, Adrian Patterson actually put it really well, and I retweeted his tweet. It basically kind of feels like an extended music video, and I was thinking like, right, like, I saw in, that tweet, in the yeah. era of like Daft Punk or Chemical Brothers, or you know, would bands have made like a that. really cool video, but then it's extended to ninety minutes or whatever. Yeah, because there's that one Daft Punk music video where it's like a dog man walking around the streets, and right. that's kind of what it felt like to me, but only right. in Iceland. Right. Uh, Many Saints of Newark we watched. Um, this, cool. was, this was an interesting uh, experiment because you are a fan of The Sopranos. You've watched the entire series, right? Um, as Eric goes to grab his probably giant box set of every season. Um, I have not watched any of The Sopranos. I've maybe seen – holy crap, that's a big box – Gabagool. I don't know if that's how you're <laughs> supposed to use that. But, um, I like the little sh- shimmer on it. Look at that. Oh, yeah. um, did they put those out in 4K yet or no? Um, uh, no, not yet. Uh, but when they wh- do. It is shot on film. So the stuff yeah. does look good in HD. But um, I watched The Many Saints of Newark without having watched you know, I've seen the pilot episode of The Sopranos. Uh, With the Canadian with, geese in his pool. Uh, yes. And I've watched that episode maybe two or three times because I always go, I'm going to start The Sopranos. And then I watch the pilot and then I never get around to watching anymore. Not that I didn't enjoy it. I just, it's a, it's a big investment and I need to make sure I have the time to, you know, actually get through it and focus on it. So going into this prequel film, um, directed by alan taylor right uh yeah who and, directed many of the episodes of the yeah. series but the guy who i was kind of hoping would direct the movie in, in terms of the, they were bringing on somebody to um direct who directed episodes was timothy van patten who i think yeah. is one of the better uh directors in the hbo canon overall he's in a lot of hbo stuff yeah so this was just interesting um i went in going okay uh don't know really many of these characters i know tony soprano obviously but um I'm just going to go into this and go, is this going to be a good gangster movie? That's all that I'm like, let's see. I don't care about the characters. I have no 
attachment to them. Um, this should be interesting. And then Eric will have the other perspective of he's seen the Sopranos. So he has all that context and does it work for him versus does it work for me? I don't think it worked really for either of us all that much, although you're more mixed positive than well, my... I mixed positive in the sense. It's like, okay, like I, it's more of a curiosity, I would say, than anything else for Sopranos fans. But it's also one of those prequel films or series or things where it's like, you didn't really need this. Need this it, yeah. it, like, a lot of people will say, like, oh, it's it's something like Solo, right? Where you don't really need to know about, like, every single detail <laughs> yeah. about how Han Solo, you know, became Han Solo. It's the same yeah. thing with Tony Soprano. Like, Tony Soprano, you know, yeah, it, it's... It, there is that curiosity being like, okay, I wonder what it was like for him growing up at, you know, in, in this particular era of, 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 you know, made men. And, but then and when you find out, you're like, oh, that wasn't It's underwhelming overall. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> like, it's the monkey paw kind of thing of like wishing for something. And then when you get it, it's not really what you wanted or it's sort of a, a manipulated version of that. And, and a different uh, context for me, but Breaking Bad, uh, that sequel movie that they did for Netflix, just like, again, El Camino, right? El Camino. I'm like, fine like it, it's interesting to see what jesse was up to in the moments after that but like it didn't really add all that much to the series and that's kind of the vibe that i kind of get from this and then coming from me who hadn't watched any of the sopranos i just think it was a very generic kind of dull gangster movie and um with a lot of bad noses and and makeup and, uh, and makeup and, in yeah. general and like even me and i was saying this to you right after is like i could tell who was playing a character that was on the show and you i've mean never a caricature yes and i've never seen any of these people in the sopranos maybe in some photos but like every actor that popped up and i'm like I bet you they're playing someone from the show because it feels like they're doing an impersonation and they have a fake nose. And yes. I'm like, um, well, remember when I said that Billy Magnuson was in it? I was like, like, didn't even know that was him. And he's playing Polly Walnuts. And yeah. you're just kind of like, I don't know who that is, but yeah. I can tell he's doing a character or a caricature yeah. to your point. And like, that's what I got throughout the whole thing. It's like, everyone's doing a character and like, they're doing an impersonation of the person from the show. So it feels very silly, even as someone who, hasn't seen any of the Sopranos and like, so it kind of, that takes you out of it. And then, um, and then otherwise it's just kind of a very kind of okay to not so great gangster movie where I was just mostly bored by the whole thing. And like, uh, I, I guess maybe if I watched all of the Sopranos, I'd be a little bit more you know um engaged with it but uh, as someone who hasn't i was like oh my god i can't i can't wait for this movie to finish because like <laughs> i just i don't get it. like it's not even that i need to get any of it i just like i don't have an attachment to these characters and nothing that they're doing is uh very interesting there's the whole subplot with leslie odom jr's character that does that have anything to do with the show or is no, that just the no. plot of this movie essentially? And I think and what yeah. they're trying to do is they're also trying to set up a series or another film with that character yeah. to continue on and sort of kind of milk a Sopranos universe. Um, and I actually really like Leslie Odom Jr. in yeah. the film. And I also I really like Alessandro uh, Nivola, um, yeah. who is this really wonderful character actor that doesn't rarely get lead roles. And he's playing uh, Christopher uh, Montesanti's uh, father and sort of... Um, Tony Soprano's kind of um, 
sort of major influence on his life and sort of a father figure because his real father played by John Bernthal, um, you know, wasn't really in the picture all that much. And then Vera Farmiga, who's playing uh, the patriarch is very much, again, a caricature with, you know, the prosthetics and makeup and things like that. And is kind of mimicking the performance from the show. And it's just strange because you do have these performances from actors who, are playing characters that might've been mentioned on the show, but were never on the show before in, in, in any kind of physical representation. So that gives the actor a little bit more freedom and license to kind of create their own performance and sort of build Ray Liotta and like Ray. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Where you have someone like Corey Stoll, who's playing uncle junior and like, with him like he's so thin-skinned and sensitive and takes everything so personally um that like when they set this kind of up in the third act and sort of who he is as a personality it's like again you're 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 getting a caricature and not a a performance and like it kind of feels like you have to play them as though they were on the show and that they weren't somebody like the, the person that was played on the show isn't necessarily the same person that they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. Right. Like you, you yeah. change over time, but you know, this, the older you're you... saying it is the same. Yeah. Thing, down right? even yeah. to like the mannerisms of how people sort of act. And it is very jarring. And then also I felt like visually speaking, um, the kind of slick kind of cool look, doesn't really lend itself to what the show was, which again, you know, the show wasn't very stylized in any way, but you kind of feel like it's not of the same world. Like it kind of just feels like a gangster movie with characters that have the same names. Yeah. And, and, and Michael Gandolfini, I think he is really trying and doing the best he can, but he's okay at the best. And I hate saying that Very because much a supporting I, character too. Like I don't yeah. necessarily think it's the movie. Yeah, so Tony his version. Well, I mean, I, I, that makes sense yeah. because Tony Soprano was only a kid. You yeah. Know, he his, wasn't really a, a child when he begins. Much, and then yeah. when he's in his early twenties, when, or late teens, early twenties, when, when he's introduced as Michael Gandalf Feeney playing um, Tony Soprano, but one, you know, you're playing like James Gandolfini's performance on the Sopranos as Tony Soprano is one of the great, great television performances. Like it is a second skin that he slipped into and sort of created this iconic personality who was so cruel and misogynistic and violent and volatile. But at the same time, he was weirdly charming and likable and, had the kind of personality of a big kid. Um, and so he was a very complex personality that you felt that James Gandolfini was able to sort of create over the course of the series, but even knew how to play the character even going into it because for the most of his career leading up to the Sopranos, he was always typecast as kind of the heavy in, um, you know, gangster movies or thrillers. I mean, the most notable film that a lot of people kind of remember him from, from beforehand was Tony Scott's true romance, where he has that terrifying, horrifying scene with Patricia Arquette, um, where he is just, Oh, almost right. kills her right yeah. like that is a, a like or like when he's talking to brad pitt stoner in that one scene he, he he has this menacing kind of quality but he's also really likable in in another tony scott movie with with you know um crimson tide so you know that series for the remainder of his life really changed the trajectory of his career going from you know always reliable character actor to this 
larger than life personality that was kind of defined by the character, even though he could also play very sweet and likable characters like in his last kind of you know, big supporting role in Nicole Hall of Center's Enough Said with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And even, again, sort of adding texture to uh, The Drop with Tom Hardy, which is a really underrated little movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, didn't do anything for but me. I, I agree. But, it, it, like, you know. to me, it's like I was I was curious about it just being having seen the show and seeing like, you know, what it would add to it. But overall, having watched it, I was kind of like. Yeah, I didn't really need this. Like, it didn't really do anything to add to the mythology or the lore of what was already there. And it just kind of felt like David Chase going back to the well. Yeah, yeah, I totally uh, agree with that. Uh, let's move on. Do you have anything else? That you I've got want? a lot of stuff, but you can but, just go on to my Letterbox account. Yeah, I've been watching fair. a lot of Shutter stuff. But I will right. say this. Psycho Gorman is a pleasant surprise. Okay, it, cool. I want to watch it. I it's a very um, tonally awkward kind of disjointed sort of attempt at doing uh, it's basically guar wars which i want to trademark it but it is a very fun movie if you liked man borg or the editor actually one of the actors from the editor plays this uh plays this kind of lazy deadbeat dad who's a lot of fun but um it is so goofy and over the top and such a b movie um but it's really enjoyable and peter kaplowski it was a a, a co-producer on on the film we had him on uh our uh untitled movie over conversations a now, over yeah. a year ago yeah so um it's 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 a very uh fun little movie touched on it then but yeah, yeah cool that's good to hear i want to i want to see that okay moving on to some trailer talk uh we missed out on licorice uh pizza last week right after we uh finished recording two weeks ago so we'll start there eric and then we'll go through uh we got lots of trailers we already talked about the scream uh trailer uh so we don't need to cover that but we'll talk about uh, licorice pizza i think we can talk about uh red rocket as well as paranormal activity next of kin and resident evil welcome to raccoon city uh, i'll touch on the dune final trailer um you guys can check out our review of that but i have some thoughts on on that that i think actually i won't talk about that because it goes into spoiler stuff of the movie so we'll skip over that but let's but essentially with... maybe you want to skip the final trailer for dune if you yes. don't want to have the film spoiled I will say that I think like, and even for guys who, you know, we didn't love the movie. You can check out our review if you want our full thoughts on that and don't be angry at us. Um, but, uh, remember it's an opinion. It's People really are allowed s- to have them. That final trailer. Like I get it. They're really trying to sell the shit out of this movie, but like that final trailer, I watched it and I was like, they give away everything. And I hope like people don't watch this thing. Like, uh, but chances are there that people won't because if it's yeah. if it's an online thing specifically, like yeah, you'll get people that watch it that are always on social media and things like sure, that. But, but chances are they've already seen it. Like I don't know. But if will they, they are, though? But I don't know because I don't know I if that's I... going to be a theater trailer, especially with it so soon. Coming I hope out not. Now. But it does give away a lot. But uh, first, we'll go into uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, Licorice Pizza, formerly known as Soggy Bottom. I keep uh, on wanting to call it Licorice Whip. Crack that whip. Uh, it reminds me of The Simpsons with uh, Well, it's Smithers. the Devo song, right? Yeah, I know. But it reminds me of Smithers <laughs> in, <Yeah. laughs> in The Simpsons. Uh, what do you think of Licorice Pizza, the trailer? I'm excited for it. I mean, I, I'm always down for a, a new PTA film. And um, I, I, it'll be fascinating to see him kind of going back to his maybe comfort zone in in a way. And, and sort of telling a story in San uh 
Bernadina and and um, doing a period piece that's in the same decade as Boogie Nights and doing something that is a coming of age story. And we, you know, we talked about um, Michael Gandolfini, you yep. know, filling in for uh, his, his late father. father. Now you have Cooper Hoffman, the son of the late great Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, as one of the leads, um, which I think is really interesting. And it's his first film um, and it's an ensemble piece, but I was kind of surprised with that. It's not necessarily, you know, like a lot of what we've seen so far in terms of like, you know, production stills and stuff like that has been on Bradley Cooper playing basically John Peters, the producer of A Star is Born, um, which is just funny because it comes full circle and thinking like, you know, he directed, produced, star and and co-wrote a version of A Star is Born. And now he's playing the producer of the Barbara Streisand version of A Star is Born is also known for being the guy who wanted Kevin Smith to write in a giant spider in the uh, Superman um, Nicolas Cage movie that never happened. Um, that And that also that giant I spider got that. That giant spider also ended up being in Wild Wild West, which Will Smith right. has recently said is the worst movie he's ever made. Uh, so John Peters I is a very <laughs> strange personality and a very larger than life figure as well. Um, it, the The title itself is kind of interesting in that it refers to this kind of like Sam, the record man esque record store in LA. Oh, yeah. And okay. um, it's also a record store that appears in fast times at Richmond high, um, which Sean Penn uh, is the lead or one of the leads on in that and is also in, uh, in this, this movie. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I'm, I'm in, I'm always down for a new PTA. Uh, I think the, the thing I'm looking forward to most, like not many people shoot on film anymore. And he's one of the guys who still does. And, and even this trailer watching it in really high quality, um, I started to do this super nerdy thing, Eric, when we get those EPK uh, press releases saying a new trailer's out, I go and download like the ProRes version, like the highest quality version instead of just watching this stuff compressed on YouTube and stuff like that. So like, and I'll actually go and crop it into uh, the proper aspect ratio and watch it on my widescreen monitor and stuff. And it just looks so much better. Um, that being said, the texture and just, you can tell this is shot on film and it matches the period of the film. And it's just like, that's the stuff I kind of miss. And I'm not one of those guys that is like, you know, I, I try not to be you know pretentious when it comes to that kind of stuff, but I still, really love to see it like I, i'm one who's totally fine with digital projection and digital cinematography and i'm open to you know the industry adapting and changing with the times but it is still wonderful when you see um something that is clearly shot on film and it has that texture and just the flesh tones and that grain that's on it just it looks fantastic and um i think that's what excites me the most and um i know he he's one of those guys that whether he really releases this on 35 millimeter film or 70 millimeter film uh, probably 35 because i know it played at some like uh art house theaters on 35 millimeter film the trailer before it even premiered online yeah the new so beverly I'm, and and draft house cinemas and so i wouldn't be surprised theaters. you know if this plays lightbox or a couple other you know places that still play stuff on 35 millimeter right like as well as you know in your digital you know cineplexes and whatever but um i think that's what excites me the most and it's like we joke about like we'll watch some you know schlocky movie from the 90s or something that's just like bottom of the barrel just garbage movie and you're like even back then like it's shot on film like this garbage movie <laughs> is shot on film and you kind of miss that so when you see like even prestige stuff like this like um 
I went onto the Kodak website right after uh, watching this trailer and they have a good list of like upcoming movies and movies that were recently shot on film, like a complete list, at least Kodak film, which most people use. And I know, you know, Nolan invested in, in Kodak and a few other filmmakers, which he probably will be again with Oppenheimer now going into production to keep them afloat. I think a bunch of filmmakers kind of uh, got together and made sure that, you know, people could still access film stock. And um, so on the Kodak website, you can kind of see what, what movies were shot on film recently, blue Bayou, which Eric, I know you saw, um and some other more recent stuff uh was shot on film too so it's just uh, that's what excites me most well red rocket's also shot red rocket yeah so um uh anytime i see that shot on film kind of thing like it, it intrigues me even if the movie um is going to be good or bad that doesn't really matter i'm just like i like seeing that so i hope we're able to see it projected on film but if not it'll still look good digitally so yeah i'm i'm excited for it i mean a new pta is a new pta i'll always be kind of uh, intrigued by it yeah he um, basically writes his own ticket he's one of yeah. those filmmakers that is still able to entice a wide enough audience based on his name just alone you know? yeah i think it's he's not maybe as like he's obviously very well known but i don't i i think it's a specific audience that is in that boat that we're in where like we'll check out a pta movie no matter what like right but if you uh, say like from the director of boogie nights or there will yeah, be blood sure. or something Fair. like that like people will kind of know those movies you yeah, know and like, then yeah go ahead sorry oh no, no no i was just gonna say that like those i just he, said good transition when we're you brought up red rocket like we also got the first trailer for red rocket we talked about scary movie a little bit earlier when we were talking about Scream. simon rex yeah so um i you know sean baker you know he's shown me that uh, i will again another filmmaker that i will be intrigued by whatever his next project is um loved florida project uh loved tangerine um so i'm i'm very much uh looking forward to simon rex for uh a good i wish i never thought i'd say out loud um but as a former adult film star um and i i I loved this trailer as well going back to the look of it and just um very intrigued by his you know showcasing different cultures uh in in the u.s in in that aren't really represented a lot i guess is well you're talking specifically texas sort of republican red state which i think one of the most interesting things he was talking about it actually um even in florida project and tangerine as well yeah yeah those that lived on the fringes of society that are barely sort of you know depicted on on screen um and and many of them being characters in themselves and kind of using a hybrid of both actors and non-professional uh actors in sort of basically interacting in scenes um i think one of the most interesting things about this having not watched it yet but kind of just hearing an interview with him talking about it is that he wanted to make sure that there was no reference of covid so he said it in uh 2015 um so i love that yeah so he wanted to make sure that it was um period accurate yeah he didn't have it set in 2020 but there was no covid or whatever yeah yeah that's cool no i'm I'm looking forward to it i even like and i even love nerdy um you know some things that people will roll their roll their eyes at but like all his movies have the same font and stuff like in the credits and and you know it has that handwriting kind of um you know opening credits in both tangerine and and florida project and just those kind of little auteur kind of like quirks and stuff like style choices i always kind of like appreciate of like the consistency of being like 
this is my movie. I'm going to have a consistent like vibe and look to it. Um, that stuff always kind of, um, I, I love and those stylistic choices. So I, I loved seeing that. And the movie almost too. didn't happen. Like it wasn't, he wasn't working on that film um, at the, like he, after the Florida project, he was, he was living and working in Vancouver and was going to shoot something else. And then COVID happened. And then um, he basically decided to make red rocket instead. And like um, Simon Rex was the actor he wanted and he didn't go through like an agent or anything. Like apparently he didn't called he just, Simon... like message him and say like, send me a tape of like you doing these lines or something. Yeah. And, and uh, Simon Rex at the time was uh, at the Joshua tree, just like doing drugs and <laughs> yeah. it was like, yeah, uh, okay. Yeah. Cause he is a former, you know, didn't he do like, he did like solo, solo masturbation film star. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so. scary movie, uh, four and <laughs> alum. five alum. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and then a couple horror trailers dropped. Uh, we got the Paranormal Activity reboot uh, that's coming to Paramount Plus called Next of Kin. Or is it a legacy sequel? I'm not entirely sure. I think. Well, Christopher was- Landon's back, right? Or, or those guys that kind of worked on Freaky and um, Happy Death Day. Yeah, oh, is that who's. Yeah, and they worked on some of the other ones, yeah. right? Yeah. They worked so, on the later ones. I wasn't sure if this is part of the same universe, if it's a reboot. I, I couldn't grasp it from the uh uh from the trailer, but what caught me off guard, I guess, is that it's not it, it looks like it's sort of uh found footage. Uh, found footage, but sort of not. Like that's what was confusing to me. And like it's it's just it's shot in a way where I'm like, oh, this isn't like you know, a found footage movie, but then part of it seems like it is. Yeah. I mean, with the last it's, I can barely remember um, the last few other than the I didn't see Mark Mexico. Ones. That yeah. one is ridiculous because there's a sequence where like these possessed older women are being blown away by shotguns yeah. and you're just like, wow, this, this series does not care anymore. And, and the marked ones was supposed to kind of be the beginning of a spinoff of that original series and sort of creating a greater occult and world within sort of the character. I think that the villain or the ghost was named Toby or something in the later ones where like um, it was kind of becoming the, the boogeyman of the paranormal activity universe instead of Katie, who was kind of the recurring right, kind the of first, possessed like, villain or five or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> they are what they are. They're disposable Friday night fright flicks that will, you know, do what they say on the box. And then, you know, you move on with life and then, you know, they kind of all blur together. The only one I really remember that well is part three because it took place in the eighties. I think know, part three is my Rock favorite spin. one. Yeah. The, part three is my favorite one because of the period element. And it has that great fan sequence. I yeah. think that is really effective. And Which, um, uh, obviously uh, Alfonso Cron ripped off in Roma. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, and I just, I, I love the vibe of that movie taking place in the eighties. I, I really do uh, think the third one is the best movie. The first one, I think um, the first one was groundbreaking in the yeah. way that, it's it was and like yeah, it's, like yeah. the idea of like you know people 
sort of basically petitioning for it to come to their cities and kind of being a, it was a Sundance hit, right? And yeah, like, a roadshow rollout, right? Like, because it played like, the first place in Toronto it played at was at Young and Dundas, and it took weeks later because it was kind of a grassroots. I remember kind of Oshawa like, got one of those screenings. I remember, like, um, yeah. And like, I'm sure it was just a big marketing thing where they looked at the major cinemas in most of these towns and then just did that roadshow style thing that you're talking about. But then you get people to vote for it and spread word of mouth and, and stuff like that. But I remember going to that Oshawa screening um, at the cinema I worked at, and it was one of those vote for it to come to your town. And if it gets enough votes, it'll come for one night only or whatever. And I... Uh, I remember just everyone thinking that movie was truly terrifying and um, it's kind of boring. <laughs> um, I like the so, first it's one. It's so but, um, static in terms of like, I think like, it's, it's effective like, though. in it's filmmaking because of that, like, and I felt like it was creepy because of that um, with its security cam kind of video cam kind of footage. Uh, so I will, uh, I will disagree with you there where I, 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 but when was the last time you watched it? Oh, it's been a while. I mean, yeah. like when I, first watched it like now watch I'm it like, now like I, I would be because i remember watching and thinking like okay i get the point the first night there's a sound second night there's another sound followed by a door slowly creaking i don't know door. if it works anymore i agree with you there um but i think at the time it really did work and you can tell why they were so cheap to make and they made right. a million. Well, it was the beginning like, of blumhouse too yeah. right like blumhouse kind of that was their first kind of big success that and then the purge movies um were the ones that kind of established them as kind of the new kind of b movie titans that would spend five ten fifteen million dollars on on and smaller hundreds of millions yeah yeah and, but then also they kind of were like one and done successes for a lot of their filmmakers in, including um uh, Oren uh, Pele, who directed um, Paranormal Activity, the first one, and was kind of the, the the godfather of the series because he tried to do the same thing with Area 51 or that Area 51 movie, which got yeah. delayed for the longest time and then eventually ended up on just Netflix. Got dumped. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. terrible. Um, I mean, it's the same film, basically, but it's just kind of like what you'd expect a, an alien sort of found footage movie to be. It just you know like it, it, you know lightning doesn't always strike twice and in yeah. the case of that guy's career it did not it's just, it's the same thing with the blair witch guys like like they had that this huge sort of phenomenon with that movie and it's still i think blair witch is more effective even now than paranormal activity but um after blair witch those guys like they pitched a bunch of stuff but they were never able to get anything never worked made. Yeah. yeah i think blair witch holds up more than paranormal activity and like i i was also shocked watching that trailer and i'm like oh this comes out in two weeks <laughs> I'm like, well, it's, it's it's on paramount plus yeah, right like it's sure. one of like clifford the big red dog and paranormal activity yeah. next of kin or whatever it's called are now paramount plus movies so do you th is in it getting US. a theatrical release here i'm assuming or probably VOD? what will happen like... is that it'll either be vod day and date or it will randomly mysteriously pop up on amazon prime in the right. next oh, six yeah, months yeah that's true quiet place did that right so yeah. so one um, of the two yeah uh i mean i'll check it out when it drops on vod i don't know if i'm gonna rush out to a, a cinema to go see it but um i'm morbidly curious i guess and then speaking of morbidly curious uh we got the i can't believe for... though we got a new saw movie and a new paranormal activity film in the same feels year. like 2006 oh yeah <laughs> we're back baby um uh 
we got a trailer also speaking of the mid 2000s we got a trailer for resident evil uh (laughs) welcome to raccoon city um which is a reboot of the resident evil uh movie franchise um but going back to the the original two games it looks like for the most part so like um what i will say is i don't think it looks very good at all it does very much look like how dare you cheap... insult uh johan roberts the director of 47 meters down and strangers pray at night yeah, how um, dare you sir it does look very cheap uh which means it does look like a resident evil movie um what i i do like is that it does seem a little bit more faithful to those first two games you see the mansion you see the raccoon city police department which are the two settings of those first two uh games in the series you see a lot of characters from the games uh that seem more faithful than the versions we got in the movies that were introduced later um so there is some stuff there uh, if you're a fan of the can i add something to that to the positive side yeah not directed by paul ws anderson or yui bull yeah i i agree with that um already a plus (laughs) so there's a compliment to johan uh roberts roberts um anyway if you're a fan of the games i feel like there there are there is going to be some stuff in here that is going to be intriguing. Um, I don't know if you go, yes, this is the resident evil movie I've always wanted. Um, I think it could be silly, ridiculous fun. Um, if you include some of the ridiculous puzzle elements that are in the resident evil games that make no sense, uh, that are like puzzles in this house that unlock different areas. And in this police station that was built over this like thing that had like, you know, if they include some of that stuff from the games, I'll be really fascinated to see how that works in in a movie and if they Um, include because johan roberts one thing that he's done with the films that he has made so far is he's included sort of like goofy sort of um of the time or in the case of 47 meters down like weird music choices and so it, yeah, it's taking place in 90- strangers pray at night he did that yeah too, which right? which was like a whole 80s soundtrack and even though i didn't love that movie there is one sequence that's actually really really good which is a pool sequence with uh lewis pullman um being attacked by one of the strangers and um total eclipse of the heart plays as he's being dragged underwater but then when he's underwater you the only kind of yeah. yeah and so there are clever things like that or even in the sequel to 47 meters down they played rock sets the look at one time he didn't direct that one but he, he was a producer and executive on that um and so it takes place in 98 so even with the trailer playing um you know four non-blondes uh oh, what's going on that is a weird music choice even for right. this but yeah. but but given that it's 98 i would assume that we'll probably get some like you know choice cuts when it comes to the soundtrack and i do like that they're setting it in the late 90s right because that's when the game came out and like i i and also 98 like now a period right it's a period piece god that yes we, we can talk about that 90s show as well but like um yeah I, I don't know it doesn't look good uh but as a video game fan um do i think this is going to be the one that you know this is going to be the one Absolutely this is going to be the this is probably um, going to be the best resident evil movie but that's not a high bar, high bar at all. no 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 not at all. like it needs to be a, a four out of 
10 or a, a two out of five to be or the just best. a two and a half yeah to be the best <laughs> resident evil movies so i want to um, be the very yeah best. if it's a 2.5 out of five this thing is leaps and bounds the best resident evil movies so like that's yeah. really not a high bar so am i looking forward to it because of that I'm not saying looking forward to it. I think it, what like, I think what I think the the greatest sort of aspiration for this film or what you could hope for is that it's going to be trashy fun. And that's what I hope. And I hope that's what we get. Uh I it's worst crime will be if it's just boring. Yeah. And um I hope Which it could not, very well so. be. I think the yeah, special effects in terms of like the monsters does look, look awful. Yeah. <laughs> it looks awful. Like just it almost looks, looks like something like a Snapchat like effect oh, that my... you would get for Halloween. Yes, that's perfect. Like those augmented reality bullshit things. Like I'm like, or maybe it's a commentary like, is it supposed to be nineteen ninety-eight also with your CG? <laughs> or Well, I'm sure um... they weren't thinking like that when they were making it, but I'm sure there will be an Armin White who enjoys it quite a bit and says that it is. So um is he a vulgar auteur has he got there yet uh johan roberts yeah i would say he falls in that category although he's not maybe as praised as paul ws anderson by certain academic types or yom colette sarah um but yeah he would fall into that category kind of perfectly okay cool cool and that's wrapping up uh the trailers that have come out the last couple weeks uh let's move on to the news as i take a note i think eric the biggest piece of news speaking of mcu we talked about eternals a little bit um uh we got news that the eternals is two hours and 40 minutes so there's that (laughs) is that Uh, the longest marvel movie no because endgame is three hours and one right but um but i would say it's the second longest or infinity war was also around i mean should you just include infinity war and endgame together and just be like that's like a five five hours yeah Yeah. um infinity war runtime uh is two hours 29 minutes so this is longer than that so this would be the second longest marvel movie at almost two hours and 40 minutes uh next to endgame um which i mean I'm all for because like one Chloe Zhao, I I'm like, again, after Nomadland and her last, uh, like just the she's rider the, and yeah. she's the best. And like, I'm all for her doing uh, her Marvel epic and like, but you don't like, I, we've come accustomed to, you know, two hours, 20 minutes is usually two hours. Well, comic minutes, book movies like, in general, yeah. right? Like, I mean, th- with the exception of Venom, let there be carnage being, you know, a cool 93, 94 minutes which was not great it's actually but, a bad thing for that movie but but yeah comic book movies in general the 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 running time is at least two hours yes um i but think they're I would be, usually I, two to 220 right but i think i would be a little bit more suspect if the next ant-man movie was as long yeah. as eternals or an avengers film because i feel like that doesn't really require the length of it and with eternals it's interesting. Like, I don't really know that much about Eternals, even though Same. I do have a limited comic book knowledge. But I was listening to a podcast, The Flophouse, recently, and they did kind of talk about Eternals when the first trailer hit. And they were saying that, like, Elliot Kalin specifically, who's one of the co-hosts, was talking about, like, Eternals is just one of those properties that nobody cares about whatsoever. And so you can basically do whatever you want with it. Um, but I guess what we're what we're getting to, you know, like is the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Volume Three uh, casting news of Adam Warlock being played by Will Poulter. 
Yes, I think that's the biggest piece of news. And what I forgot we didn't talk about was the Home Sweet Home Alone trailer, Eric. I didn't even watch that. Okay. <laughs> it looks awful. Um, but I mean, will we it review lo- it? Oh yeah, we will. Because okay. come on, uh, we uh, well, Buzz is in it. Dustin, Rattray. yes, he he's a cop. Of course, Buzz is a cop. <laughs> well, that makes perfect sense. Um, Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. Um, it looks terrible. Just to quickly touch on it, but also the Home Alone movies aren't great. So like, it How looks like the first it, one's a classic. I think it's a classic. I don't get. Oh. I dude, I love um, Uncle Frank home. is the true villain. But I, they're very much kids movies, right? Yeah. And I think our nostalgia well, we grew up is with what, those films. Yes, and I feel like this looks like a modern version of those movies. And like I could see as an adult, if we were adults when Home Alone came we're, out, I'm pretty we're sure grown thirty like, something year old yeah. men watching a kids movie. Yeah, so you kind of have to have that lens. Yeah, you have to have that lens on it, right? Yeah. So like it's like Paw Patrol, right? exactly yeah um anyways uh moving to the news yeah will poulter has been cast as adam warlock in guardians of the galaxy uh volume three uh james gunn did confirm this on uh twitter because he says usually i don't speculate on rumors or and things he's like well he usually debunks them as soon as somebody kind of brings up something that's kind of spreading so he will just say no that's bullshit it's not true but and this was also through deadline which is usually reputable when it comes to um you know, movie news. Yeah. So, uh, he beat out a couple other people. Um, he beat out, uh, George McKay, George McKay, of who Wolf. Just on Wolf. So maybe he just sent in that movie and was like, look what I can do. Um, and, Wait, Stewie? uh, look what I can do. Uh, Renee Jean, uh, what's his name from Bridgerton? Renee Jean page or something. I forget. Yeah. Um, but Will Poulter beats them out and he is playing Adam Warlock who we, uh, were teased, uh, at the end of Guardians Volume Two, seems so long um, ago, right? Doesn't that movie yeah. feel like ages ago? Um, I like Will Poulter enough. Uh, he's I, fine. I yeah. think he's best when he's playing an asshole, like he did in Midsommar. So maybe that's who Adam Warlock is again. Another character that I'm not super familiar. Well, he familiar is associated with, like, with the Infinity Gauntlet, Stones, yeah. right? And yeah. so, so maybe it's going to be a situation like Ultron, where like. Ultron was the creation of Ant-Man of Hank Pym but you know since they kind of rewrote it and made it Tony's creation because Ant-Man wasn't really introduced in the MCU as of yet like I wonder what Adam Warlock's sort of narrative arc will be not only in Guardians 3 but maybe what he'll mean within the rest of the MCU moving forward, because you got to think that Adam Warlock is a very, is a pretty important character within the MCU. Yeah. The, the cosmic side of things, yeah. I think. And especially, especially with Eternals coming out and yeah, Captain Marvel, even um, moving forward. So um, yeah, I, I have no idea. I mean, I, I have all the faith in, in James Gunn and, you know, uh, after Suicide Squad and the first two Guardians movies and, uh, you know, I'm curious to see that cast in Thor Love and Thunder, which I know Gunn kind of, uh, didn't work on but he helped taika ytt on that as well it's so, probably he'll be credited um, as like an executive producer or consultant yeah. yeah 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 so uh you know the both guardians movies are great so um i'm i i like will poulter um i don't know much about adam warlock but then i didn't know much about the guardians so um yeah i just know that he was heavily involved in the infinity gauntlet storyline and i think he wields the infinity stones at one point like the and the gauntlet but uh starts as a villain but maybe becomes more of a hero but i'm not entirely sure but um yeah i'm intrigued nonetheless i i know they said it was a a role that many young actors in hollywood were trying to get so good on him 
good on you, Will Poulter. Star of Midsommar. Um, he's also good in the Black Mirror Choose Your Own Adventure thing. I like. Oh, Bandersnatch. That. Yeah, but again, playing kind of a uh, uh, an asshole. To your point. Yeah. Um. What else dropped in the last kind of week or so, Eric? Or well, the, the Christopher Nolan news that uh, Oppenheimer right. is shooting um, either later this year or early next year, that Killian Murphy will be playing the titular Oppenheimer, um, and that uh, it seems like all – like it, it's going to be re- – it has a release date too, right, of July 2023, yep. I believe. Yeah, You're so correct. I think that was kind of like a big kind of news story. But a news story that I wanted to actually talk to you about – was um neon's announcement of the release strategy for memoria being a film that'll roll out in one theater couple big pieces of neon news this week too but yeah yeah yeah. i mean i guess we could also mention quickly that t10 has been selected uh by france as their international uh selection uh, and they picked up pleasure as well yes yes um but memoria yeah sorry yeah yeah so quickly though with pleasure that that was really interesting because neon because a24 was going to release the film and then all of a sudden it disappeared from their website you were um, you broke this you had the scoop on this you were the first person i saw that well was i'm like, obsessive compulsive what? with release dates when it's like okay is this film coming out am i putting it on my list yeah. of films that i've seen this year because you only... were the first person i saw that tweeted out being like what's going on with the release of uh pleasure because i don't see it anywhere on a24's website but essentially as the press release kind of noted it wasn't specific but they're going to release the version we saw on Sundance's digital platform, which is the uncut version, how they're going to do that is, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know what their plans are, but it'll probably have to be um, unrated, meaning that it goes past the uh, MPAA and that it's only going to be played in rep theaters and art house cinemas and things like that. And, and, I mean, that's fine. I mean, it's, it, it wasn't going to be a multiplex. It's film, what she neither wanted, is, right? Neither was Memoria, though. So, well, yeah, it's what she wanted, right? Because I think the big, yeah. uh, you know, butting heads with A24 is they wanted to release both an R-rated version and an unrated version. And she Which did, I don't know how you could pull off an R-rated version, you know, like, like it seems like it cut has out to all be, the nudity mostly. But then, but like, then it, half of the film is gone. Like, I think you of, have and, to like and some of the points. stuff and like, yeah, yeah like it's like because you again it's uh, it's the not to be too graphic but it's like when you show like an erection in like a movie and like there's penetrative sex in the movie like i guess you could have cut that stuff out when they're weirdly sexist that you know you can show female nudity for the most part but or you you can get away with like somebody uh, having their head bashed oh yeah and you have michael Myers stomping on a dude's face and it that's uh, cool crushing like a watermelon but that gets an r rating but anything to do with sex is nc17 it's so weird right so i'm i'm sure like i I, you don't want a watered down version of that movie because i i I feel like that kind of you know defeats the purpose of what the film is trying to to say and show yeah yeah so Uh, i i totally understand why she was like um, no, I want this to be the uncut version. And then it seemed like a 24 was hesitant with that. So then neon was like, fine, we'll do it. And then uh, she uh, luckily a 24, I don't know what, ha- like how they would have done that, but, but they this happens just... a lot with a 24 where it's like, yeah, they do release a lot of great stuff, but like they pick up a lot of stuff and then just either dump it or, yeah. Or they, they net like, you know, for, for a studio that's kind of been, championing indie indie films you kind of get the sense it's like as long as the indie film is from a 
big enough filmmaker or is critically acclaimed enough, they'll always be on your side. Yeah. But if you're under the Silver Lake and you play at Cannes and get a bad reception, good we'll luck. Bury you. Yeah. yeah you, you know, we won't even Which give is, you a, it's it's a good movie and it makes fine. me so mad that like that got It didn't buried. deserve that. A24 yeah. did that movie dirty, you know, and 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 it's it kind of almost feels similar without maybe knowing all the behind the scenes stuff but like you know again a24 presenting itself as a a, you know a a cutting edge indie company about you know the filmmakers being first it you know with under the silver lake and with this it kind of goes against that and not saying that that neon's perfect either it's just it's just interesting that like even with the memoria stuff i think neon is going maybe a little too far with that okay let's get into that so so a pitch upon we were set the cools uh memoria which is a film we reviewed at check out our review yeah Yeah. um i think we both liked to love the film and it's a movie that the more i think about the more i really like same um it's a movie that is very much surreal and dreamlike but um neon announced that their uh their rollout of the movie is going to be one theater in every town uh indefinitely uh it will only play in one theater at a time in yeah. like a rolling road show for the rest of history they said i think which already um, doesn't make any sense because and it will that, never come to streaming or physical that's a, media that does, nope Oh, I thought that's, that's our, what they said. No, they because that already. No, 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 no. For for North America, maybe, but Mubi picked it up in the UK and other parts of the world, right, okay. and it is going to be a streamer. Right. Already, so you're kind de- of like, de- yeah, defeats the purpose. But of then, that. will it only be available in Europe on Mubi, or will it like, or yeah, will it, yeah, like, yeah, like it's 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 only, but but again, that does that no, still that means you can still defeats the get purpose it if you really want to. Yeah, exactly. So, like, they've already, like, and I think, like, this is weirdly the thing that is just most expected of a pitch upon where, like, I think it would have been weirder if it was a film that he put in traditional multiplexes. I think that would have been the weirder kind of expect the unexpected of a filmmaker like that. And it's also Columbia's entry for um, the international uh, uh, Oscar submission. Um, So, yeah, I just, I feel that, like... I, I see what you're saying with the movie thing of it defeating the purpose of the release strategy, right? Like, because yeah. if you really truly did a worldwide, it is only playing in one location at a time for a week at a time. And that's the only way you can see this movie um, is interesting as like an art piece, right? Because like, I even like the idea that it's maybe even playing a art gallery or a museum or something. Cause sure. a lot of the times they have either a screening room or something like that where, or, um, you know, even, uh, the museum of the moving image in, in New York, which I, I want to go with you. Even I want to go with or... you to that one time, Eric, because yeah. next time we go to New York together, cause like Momi was so much, it was so cool. Um, it's in Queens and it's awesome. So like I could see something where it's playing at like art galleries or they build like a small cinema in an art gallery and you, you go see it there. Like, I think that's kind of cool, but I, I agree with you that the, you know, it being on, on streaming on movie internationally, like then it kind of is defeating the purpose. So you're really just saying in North America, the only way you're going to be able to see. And it even then we like, don't know if elevation is going to, to do um, that as well. Do that because Canada. elevation pictures, Canada has the rights to the film here. And I don't know, like, I don't think in the contract that they, it would Originally be a question. Signed. It would, yeah. It, I, I should ask 
some of the people there and see if they know what's going on with that because it'd be, yeah it, it doesn't seem like they have to follow that i don't think route. they do because they signed no. that before neon picked up memoria right yeah like um so i yeah i i could see it being a u.s only thing that's what they're doing as a gimmicky kind of thing in the u.s but um this it would have worked it would have worked if it was the 1980s or the 1990s it, it, in a pre-internet era mm-hmm. but since Where the film has film sold, print they only print one film print exactly but since around. the film has sold to not there's also other streaming services that it sold in parts of asia and in other parts of the world so it's not just movie but it will be available on these other streaming platforms internationally so it's like I think Netflix actually has it in parts of, of oh, um, yeah. um, like Latin America. And so like, it's just, if you liked squid game, <laughs> yeah, but, but it's some other is, international it, cinema. It's like, Watch okay, Maria. I would get that working in the 1980s, 1970s, like in the before times, before times, not pandemic before times, technology, before, internet. Yeah. yeah. But it does, it doesn't work now. That does not work. And it actually hurts the film because I think it could, if that was, literally the if you made one deal worldwide rights but they didn't but they didn't so i agree with you that it doesn't necessarily work because you already you know bastardized it by uh you know making and i get why you make these other deals you need to make your money back and 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 things like that and it's not as easy as selling worldwide rights to something because that's actually very hard to do is just sell you know, to one, even look at bond being, you know, international rights are owned by universal here. It's United artists. It was, I thought it was going to be Annapurna at one point, but it never ended up doing that. And then before then it was Sony. Yeah. Yeah. So like every movie, like it's, and even I've told this story before, but working at show me, like at a streaming service, you really, once you work at one of these places and you start to understand international rights and every country's got their own rules and every country has, you know, it, it doesn't just work. And things that, don't like, always stay with yeah. that one, you know, studio or production company because sometimes the rights will, you know, the studio that that company will shut down and the rights will lapse to somebody else. Yeah. We were talking about that with with a lot of the Miramax catalog now going to places like Lionsgate or Paramount or other places. And so I don't even know the, who the owns owner... it now. I think Paramount does own part of Miramax, but someone else does now too. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's just international rights and, and stuff like that is, is really, really tricky. Like even look at, we never talked about the Marvel, uh, lawsuits that are going on right now. And like, just, uh, yeah, reverting back to the, like the Jack Kirby and yeah, the estates and other, right. and which we've seen in like, uh, um, uh, Friday the 13th and some of those other horror franchises too, going back to what we were talking about with scream of like the original, uh, creators of that, uh, the lawsuits are were they independent contractors or were they employees of this, uh, of the studio, um, essentially, right? Cause if they were independent contractors, they should own the rights to their creation. But if they were employees of a studio, then it's the studio owns it because you worked for them. Right. So it's like this confusing thing where Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and all these guys are, it's like, uh, it depends on, you know, these things could revert back to them and that they're a state. I mean, they're, they're both a state. Now. Yes. Yeah. That's what I mean. Um, yeah. they're a state, but then even if you look into those lawsuits, it's like only in the U S though, internationally is different. So it's like, even if Disney and Marvel lost those rights, it's like they would only use, lose the U S rights. 
And I'm like, that just even more complicates everything where I'm like, and then you're starting to see that, you know, in, in not even starting, it's been a, a, a thing forever of just like the rights in different countries is always, you know, when things sell at a script stage, someone in Canada might buy it because they see potential in the Canadian market, but then it sells to someone else in the U S and then we've seen stuff come out on Netflix in the U S but it's elevation here or whatever. Um, it's really, really fascinating. So like a release strategy like this, I agree with you, doesn't completely work because you're kind of defeating the purpose where if you have a VPN, you can just set your and it, and and somebody's to... going to bootleg it out of spite. Oh, like, of literally course, someone's but... just going to and that's the other thing. Like even though you know, like Neon releases or or sends out screeners at the end of the year for, you know, I'm sure uh, we'll get members. one actually. Yeah. <laughs> so like again, you know, it doesn't feel like it really makes any logistical sense. Other I think than it's, it's a, a cool idea. Experimental, but, but it just feels like you're only doing it just to kind of keep on brand. And to, as much as me, I do it is like a brand a building pong, thing. And it's also, this movie wasn't going to make us any money anyway. So let's do something unique to get people talking about it. And like, right. but then it hurts um, the movie as well, because I feel like people will be resentful towards it without even having seen the film or, you know, like, again, I think it's a really good movie, but like having heard that and knowing that the film will be available on other streaming platforms and it'll never get a quote unquote, which I think is also bullshit. I think at some point it will get a Blu-ray Criterion. release through Criterion or something yeah. like that. Um, it it kind of makes you dislike the film um, sure. if you're against what it's doing. And that's unfair, I think, to the movie. And I think it hurts the marketing of that really does actually kind of hurt the film. Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I don't disagree. Um, other news, we touched on the That 90 Show. So Netflix is uh, doing a That 70 Show spinoff called That 90 Show, and they're bringing back Red and Kitty. Um, so, which is, it's Lori and, um, uh, God, what's Topher Grace's character's Eric. name? Eric. Eric, uh, their their daughter, Leia. Haha. <laughs> Um, uh, it goes to visit her grandparents and, uh, it takes place uh, at their home. Didn't Topher Grace leave this, that 70s show at one he wasn't point even in the one last of the season. Myers brothers. Yep. And like, uh, Ashton Kutcher left too. Right. So like the last couple seasons were very weird because like two of your biggest stars left, but you tried to continue it without them. So, and they did that, that 80 show spinoff, which um, only right lasted after. like maybe half a season. Yeah. So I'm more, again, it, it's the trend in Hollywood, the legacy sequel kind of thing. Bring back a couple characters from that original thing. And you're doing, you know, uh, it's the nineties is a, is a period piece now, right? Like the, like there was that thing that started popping off, like, uh, became viral on Twitter being like the, the time gap from when that 70s show came out in the nineties is the same as if today was the nineties or like if you did a show about the nineties now and they're doing right. it right. So it's just, that was kind of also, also been long that, but... enough. I think for maybe, I guess some interest in doing a, a revival series of something like that, where there's maybe now enough nostalgia for people that grew up with it or enjoyed it. But then there's also things that were like, yeah, to your point, like, 
or, or what we were talking about Topher Grace left the series um Ashton Kutcher left the series um not that they're they're going to be characters on the show although they could probably easily pop up because I don't think either one of those guys are really doing all that much um no, well you got the ranch on Netflix which um, right but then the other thing is like the problematic stuff with, with like Danny Masterson, Danny Masterson yeah. even though it's not the character Hyde isn't problematic it's just the actor yeah. who played him who's wasn't he on the ranch as well yeah yeah so like you know it's 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 a weird thing to bring it back but at the same time i understand that like you you look at most shows now with the cycle of the reboot or the revival and anything i think is pretty much fair game and you know it's not necessarily surprising but you look at it and you're kind of oh there's georgie um (laughs) you know we we both loved twin peaks the return but i can see a lot of people complaining and saying like well what's the point of bringing back this you know early 90s fad that you know was popular in the moment but then kind of you know basically kind of ran its course even before season two ended um but like it's just interesting now that we're in that cycle of to your point a lot of 90s shows getting rebooted everything from saved by the bell to now this and like i wonder like what's left in terms of what other like sort of major 90s series that they could reboot at this point yeah because soon we'll be getting to the early 2000s we're getting beast wars a movie too yeah but soon we'll be getting to the 2000s and then that will really be painful like yeah well the lost the lost thing will start coming back into because i know you've talked about it a lost lost they'll do that soon revival yeah Yeah. and uh, and it will be a legacy sequel like i don't know who you bring back for that you probably bring bring back uh hugo and and um i forget who they they had hugo and was it walt were they like or michael emerson maybe ben too i think Uh, georgie's probably now on the microphone so if you hear (laughs) a weird noise or purring that's her um yeah, I could see Lost coming back. I don't know what other 90s stuff, but when we start getting the 2000s, even Lady Bird being a, a period piece a little bit um, was <laughs> jarring. And uh, I'm intrigued by that 90s show because I really loved that 70s show and growing up in the 90s. Um, I think it could be fun seeing a show set in 95, 96, I think it said. like. Um, so I, I'm I'm intrigued by it. And I, I like um, Kitty and Red and... Um, uh, I think if you're going to bring back characters, it makes sense to have them just come back as the grandparents. And um, I think it could be fun. I don't know. Or it could be terrible. But Georgie, what are you doing? Like, I mean, I'm not against it in just the sense it's like, well, every every other show that kind of, you know, was of the 90s or, or late 80s has had some sort of reboot or consideration to kind of bring certain things back. I mean, if you can bring back you know roseanne and right. the the x files and you know it, it seems like everything other than maybe like northern exposures and like um um buffy the vampire slayer maybe like those are a couple things that haven't had a reboot as of yet um but there's some problematic stuff with whedon so i could see why that's, that's probably true, haven't yeah. done anything with that but i'm just starting to think nash bridges is coming back. i know i know well the one thing that hasn't actually come back that i'm kind of surprised with is that it, uh, miami <laughs> vice you, what are you doing as a series not as a yeah. movie yeah yeah um like don johnson man bring him back as 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 crockett 
I, I wouldn't be surprised, but God, um, Nash Bridges the TV movie. It is. I I'm know. Like, I know. Uh, my only uh, connection to Nash Bridges is um, uh, that it used to be on USA Network, right? And then yeah. um, it was always on either before or after WWE Raw. And I think Stone Cold Steve Austin was on an episode of Nash Bridges, and I just remember them like promoting the shit out of that. And, um, oh God, Georgie's hitting buttons. Um, so that was my only, like, I never watched Nash Bridges, but I used to always make fun of it because of, uh, because of that. Yeah. I remember my grandmother watched it all the time and, um, it I seems just like the opening title kind of show. Yeah. It, the title sequence being like, I think it was Terrence Trent Darby's sign your name, which was the, 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 the song okay. um, that plays at the beginning with, uh, again, Don Johnson and Cheech Marin. So Love it. Love it. Um, anything else that we missed over the last couple weeks? Or should we wrap this shit up? As Georgie is annoying me, but she's very cute. Um, that so 90s show. Do you remember anything over the last couple weeks that you wanted to talk about? I think we got the, the main stuff. Um, to be honest, like I think it's been it's been fairly like low key in terms of movie news over the last little bit. Like it's kind of felt like, you know, th- there has been this kind of ebb and flow in the industry right now where it's like, OK, you have these productions that are about to go, you know, start. But, you know, they're taking a little bit longer because of certain precautions that need to be in effect due to the pandemic still and, and thinking about how to shoot and stuff like that. And like, you know, there's been little sort of rumblings of like either casting or, um, you know, announcements of titles like Bill Murray, you know, announced that the title for the next Wes Anderson movie is asteroid, 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 uh, city. Um, right. and then, um, Tilda Swinton confirmed that, um, she is going to be in David Fincher's the killer alongside, um, Michael Fassbender. So things like that, I love but, that. Yeah. um, nothing like, on the scale i'm sure as soon as we're done this something will come out which i have no doubt but um yeah. that's usually the case but um i mean wonka's shooting now and God, that Chalamet wonka. looks like uh gonzo from gonzo a Muppet's from christmas Ma- carol or daniel day lewis of gangs of new york so uh, that's the best um yeah the gonzo from a muppet christmas carol was the was the best tweet i saw about that but do we really need a Wonka prequel movie. Like, no, but, but again, that, like, that goes Paul back to King the many saints of Newark, right? Yeah. Where it's like, there are just some things you don't need to know how the character became the character. You just enjoy the character in the context of the story that was originally presented. I don't, I don't need, I mean, and, and also, I mean, we've already seen a version yeah. of it with Tim Burton's movie. And, and to your yeah. point, Paul King has directed two really lovely movies with the Paddington films, but that's um, what gives me a little bit of hope that this will be, you know, okay. Yeah. But um, at the same time, again, it's like the many saints of Newark where it's just like, yeah, you, you tell a fan of the Sopranos. Oh, would you like to see like a Tony Soprano origin story of when he grew up, you know, most fans are going to be say, like, yeah. Yeah, and then it's like with Star Wars as well, right? Where it's like, oh, do you you know, do you want to see these Star Wars prequels of Anakin becoming Darth Vader? Who's going to say no? And then when you see the results, you're kind of like, oh man, why did I want this? It's rarely a good idea. No, so that's no, the what's... only time I would say it really worked 
and tonally it was different but also a lot of people hated it because it wasn't what it was supposed to be was twin peaks fire walk with me where Mm -hmm. like that prequel was its own thing even though it was still part of the world lynch created but it was a horror movie and it was also very depressing and nobody really wanted just depressing so you know over time it's become uh, a very much highly regarded and revered film but when it was released people were like this isn't twin peaks i'm trying to point at it but it's like right there i think um yeah i agree uh well thank you all for listening or watching uh we really do appreciate it happy belated birthday to eric uh we covered that uh which seems like a lifetime ago another classic two hour and 40 minute podcast well it's life man you have so much to do and then like you know, you're, you're busy right now. I'm busy right now. It's just, it happens, you know, we'll see if we'll uh, be back next week. Uh, I will let you have more reviews though. I'm going to be starting to pack everything up. Uh, but yeah, we will have more reviews. Might have to have some weird, maybe I'll have to have a, just a photo of me or something. Um, we might have to do audio (laughs) only or something like that, but we'll see. Um, because I'm going to start packing everything up, uh, at the tail end of this week. So, um, but we will have a Halloween kills, uh, review. We do have a review out for Bergman Island, um, as well as the last duel that you guys can check out on the reviews channel or uh, right here on YouTube. Um, and yeah, we'll be back with, uh, I'll be on, uh, star Wars screencast tomorrow over on kind of funny covering the last three episodes of star Wars visions. Uh, so you guys can check that out over on the kind of funny, uh, YouTube channel and on podcast services everywhere on kind of funny screencast. Um, but yeah, moving is stressful, but exciting. I'll be back in the city soon. You'll have a new background. I don't know what the hell that background is going to look like. Uh, still trying to figure out. Uh, what my computer slash den area will look like. Um, it will be a bit of a process, but we'll learn together, everyone. Um, Eric, any other plans for the rest of the week? Uh, just, uh, you know, reviews for The Last Duel and uh, Halloween Kills and Mass uh, for Rogers. And also, I should mention, I was recently on... Uh, Robert Bellissimo's uh, At the Movies, which is his YouTube channel, um, talking about Charles Lawton's uh, uh, The Night of the Hunter with uh, Robert Mitchum. Uh, That was a lot of fun talking about that movie, and especially uh, being the month of The Beast. Uh, It's a great genre film and uh, a scary performance from Robert Mitchum. So if you've never seen that movie, uh, I highly recommend it. It's available uh, through Criterion. Um, I will also be popping up again um, on his show sometime at the end of October, I think on the 27th, uh, for a discussion on Carol Reed's The Third Man. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me on all of those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. I said, hey, what's going on?